Hi, everybody, and welcome to Full Marks. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. Uh, we are your co-hosts, and you might go, that's enough hosts uh, for a show like this, but wrong. Yeah. No. Nope. We have brought, uh, brought the spawn of one of our, oh, uh, no, uh, our hosts uh, here today. Uh, I'm sorry for calling you Spawn, uh, but it is one of the more successful of the image characters. We're really going on. It's a icky, tangent. though. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, Mary, can I call you Mary Dedrick? Yes. All right, you can. this is Mary Dedrick. Mary Dedrick is here. Yay. Yay. Oh, thank you. Uh, now, uh, today we're going to be talking about monkey business. Yes. I hope. Uh, <laughs> I hope it's not one of those obscure. Because what we're doing, folks, yeah. if you're just tuning in for the first time, we're doing all the Marx Brothers movies in order. Uh, so we have done. Uh, we have done co- the coconuts. We've we have done, done animal crackers. Done animal crackers. We are now doing monkey business. There have been some shorts in between that we have not covered, but we will cover those near the end. But right now, for the main movies, uh, we are up to monkey business. We'll talk about the short today. Oh, will we also be talking about the short. Yep. Are you okay with that? I didn't watch it. I feel like no, I, I haven't didn't either. Do the We're really uh, behind the. Oh, you didn't watch here. it. The short. Yeah. No. Did you send me the short? Yeah, I did. Did you see me the short? No, I didn't. Oh, well, why didn't you do that, wait Dad? A okay, I see what you're saying. I thought, okay, I thought you were sending me something to see. Uh, okay, I didn't understand what you were sending me. What I'm saying to you folks is turn off the podcast now because we have <laughs> messed this up uh, completely. But I did watch. Let's just, uh, we'll take a brief pause. We'll be back next week. We'll, we'll, we'll watch it and then we'll come back again. Okay, do you want to watch it on the, the, the oh, sensible side screen or your little micro screen? And we can watch it on a sensible size screen, I guess. Okay. Let's get back to the show. So we we had a brief pause. Wait, we watched... I think I remember seeing it. Oh, you do? Okay, you did watch it. <laughs> do I you knew... remember seeing it? Oh, yeah, yes. No, you know what? You're right. Dad did send it to me. Yeah, uh, it's not yeah. like we just watched it during that uh, awkward uh, moment there. <laughs> yeah, so well, we'll talk about it later uh, in... in um... In, in order. Context. In context. In order. In order, yes. Oh, all right, yes. very good. All right, this is great. So uh, what we what we do on the show uh, is we, uh, we, we get a little context for what was going on in the life of the Marx Brothers historically, and then we go through the film, you know, just kind of, you go through a film. You know how that works. And we talk about it, and then later on you comment on our message boards and go, what were you guys thinking? <laughs> Say some mean things. <laughs> and uh, then we get out quick. That's how it goes. Uh, we also do a podcast called Sneaky Dragon. This is a sidecast to that one. If you want to hear us talking about everything else in the world, uh, please check that out. And uh, that is generally it. David is the sort of Marx Brothers expert, you know, a hardcore fan, seen I am them a, all. I'm a hardcore fan. I am the casual listener. I make my living uh, as a comedy writer and performer. Uh, and uh, what's your deal? <laughs> well... Uh, what I bring to this podcast is very little, but actually... <laughs> a youthful um, energy. A youthful energy. New slang actually, terms. Yes, new slang terms. <laughs> um, I'll probably be texting throughout this <laughs> or doing more younger forms of texting. Snapchat is a thing that I've heard of before. Um, I know some things about history, though, because I... Uh, did a history degree in university. Wait, did so you graduate say, recently from that? I I did. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't planning on bringing that up. But oh, yes, well, thank you. Go. Ian. Congratulations um, to you on that. Thank you. Uh, and I've also been wa- I've, I've watched all of the Marx Brothers movies, basically. All the Paramount ones, anyway. All the Paramount ones, yes. Since from a young age, because I was raised by David Dedrick, fan <laughs> of the Marx Brothers. Very good. Okay, so uh, that is who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know on our message board who you are, and uh, we'll continue the discussion on there. But to begin with, uh, uh, when we last left the Marx Brothers, they had completed Animal Crackers. That's right. Uh, and uh, that was a success for them. 
It was a, yes, it was a big success for them. Okay, so they're moving on. It was a Where big are they at? It was a big success, and it actually spurred Paramount to offer them uh, a three-picture deal, and they got a lot of money. Uh, I think it was two hundred fifty thousand dollars per picture, plus a share in the in the gross, um, which was pretty good. Which they had for Animal Crackers too, and actually there was some issues of, of non-payment, but this that kind of came later. But for one thing, to, it's important to to note that even though the Marx Brothers had gone into the into films. They still had one foot in vaudeville or in, in this on the stage. They hadn't quite, you know, especially still with performing live. They're still performing live, and they would basically they had kind of they had kind of taken it down to the point where they were just basically touring a a portmanteau of various popular bits of of their three different things that they had done that were kind of big, or even, you know, bits of Home Again, or bits of I'll Say She Is, and bits of The Coconuts and Animal Crackers, all kind of thrown together. So all the kind of popular things that they could do on stage, they would get, you know, so they weren't, they weren't like the, and it was a smaller thing as well. Mm-hmm. So they got a lot of money for it. Like they were getting like $10,000 a, a day from the um, Keith circuit to perform at the, you know, in the big place. And well, they were movie stars. They were movie stars, but they the the problem for for Groucho particularly, like Groucho, even though Chico was the the business mind, like he was the negotiator, he was the the guy who could like get in there and and, and make a good deal, you know. And Zeppo had that too. Groucho was more like the kind of overall, like kind of the guy who looked over the whole thing and kind of had stood stood back and said, "What is? Where are we going? What's going to happen?" Because Basically, after when they were out doing Animal Crackers, the coconuts had come out. Their mum died. Minnie Marks died, and so they lost that that engine that had been you know pushing them for for years, for decades, and you know through vaudeville, and who guided them and was a big their biggest fan, and you know so that that safety net that person was gone, and even though I think. She was a good manager. She wasn't the best manager in the world because she made a lot of very short-term decisions that affected them in a long-term negative way. But she certainly was the person who believed in them and made yeah. them. Well, and, and I'm glad the that she lived long enough to see them become successful. For sure, yeah. 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 I mean, she saw them very successful on stage, and then she saw them becoming motion picture yeah. stars. But without her there, Groucho, it kind of fell on Groucho to be the 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 kind of manager in a way. Right now, the fa- their father was no part of this. No, even uh, though he's in this movie very briefly. He's very briefly in the yeah. film, but he was mostly useless as a as a business person. Like he was never a success in his life. In fact, he was more like a house husband before there were house husbands, mm. official house husbands. You know, uh, he mostly stayed at home and did a lot of cooking and stuff like that. Well, well, Minnie Marks went around and and hustled hustled for the family. And so, and that was where she was comfortable and happy. So why not, right? Once so for Groucho, he's looking. Okay, they've now done two pictures. They were big successes. That's true. But they were based on successful stage plays. So now they don't have a successful stage play to draw on to make this next movie. What are they going to do? You know. So he's really uncertain because to him, the reason that those movies were big successes was because they were developed over time. And built into, you know, through... They time-tested the jokes on stage. That's right. They were rehearsed. And, and, you know, like we were talking about a little while ago in a couple... Last show or the show before, that to Groucho, the audience was the writer of the shows. Because they're the ones who told you what was funny and what wasn't. And when something didn't... They didn't laugh at things, it left the act. And you'd replace it with something else. And over time, you'd build this tried-and-true, audience-tested vehicle that was absolutely ironclad, you know, laugh... ready, You know, this ready-made for laughter, you know? 
so now they're going to do a movie, their first film, without a you know a stage show behind it. Which and he was really like, nervous. Yeah, which sounds like a negative, but to me, then you get to make a movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not you're not adapting something. You're yeah. you've you've locked in what your characters are. Sure. Everyone knows them. They love these characters, and now yeah. we can do something, taking full advantage of what a movie is, and not filming a stage play and then taking it up mm-hmm. a couple of notches mm-hmm. for, for film. Well, that's true. But at the same time, we have to remember that for Grocho and Harpo, uh, you know, they'd lost everything in the in the crash, in the stock market crash. Mm-hmm. So their savings were gone, you know, so they didn't have like a, a lot to fall back on. Now you're saying their savings were gone, but you're also saying they're making $10,000 a night. Yes, yes, yeah, they're, they're doing well. But, you know, when you've lost all your money, when you get $10,000, in your mind, you're like, well, this. How long will this last? Like, how long am I get getting ten thousand dollars? You know, like this could just go away, and then we're back to square one. Yeah. And I mean, especially since for them, they were, I mean, they might not have known this, but they were just entering like the the decade of the Great Depression at that point, right? Sure. Yeah. So it's like there is such a possibility that entertainment mm-hmm. could just not be like a a valid form of business anymore, right? Yeah. Like there is a big chance like you're making ten thousand. $10,000 a night now, mm. but who knows how long that is going to last when people don't have money anymore, Yeah, but right. no one else has money either. And as you said in previous shows, uh, the Chico didn't know how to handle money at all. That's right. So any money given to him just goes through the sieve. <laughs> That's right. So, so you know that your brother's constantly going to be in need. Well, that was an interesting part. So when, when they signed with Paramount for these three pictures and we're getting this big money, it was arranged that the money would be paid entirely to Grocho. And would go into their company, and then everyone would get paid out of that, including including Chico. And this was done entirely to control Chico's spending. Uh, you know, as far as Groucho was concerned, Harp, uh, Harpo and Zeppo could have been paid just as no- as normal, but because Chico was such a spendthrift, because he's such a gambler, and not, I mean, Zeppo was a gambler too. Zeppo liked to gamble, but Zeppo liked to gamble and win. Groucho, or Chico liked to gamble for just for the thrill of gambling. Yeah. Like he did, he would just throw it away. Like there's stories of him like. You know, he's playing in a poker game and Harpo realizing that he was playing with cheats and, you know, going and telling Chico, you know, these guys are cheaters. They're just cheating you out of your money. And he's like, yeah, I know, but it's the only game in town. <laughs> you know, like he just didn't care. Like to him, it didn't matter. Like money didn't matter to him. He had no sense of tomorrow. That he almost sounds entirely. like something from other films. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Their personalities really did come out in their yeah. movies for sure. So, yeah. So they wanted, uh, the other thing that Paramount wanted was the one that wanted the brothers out west. They didn't want to use the East Coast soundstage anymore. They wanted them on the West Coast, where the, the best technicians were, where the best directors and writers were, where the best producers and overseers were. To, sure. The East Coast was once upon a time a booming movie industry area, but it was slowly winding down. And once the silent era ended, there was really no point in having having an East Coast. The East Coast by that point was just the bank for the West Coast. I mean, the East Coast was still important. Because that's where all the money was that went out to the East West Coast to make the films. But in terms of production offices and the facilities and stuff like that, the West Coast became entirely the best place was for there, it. Was uh, there anything in this film that was shot out of doors? Was it all soundstage? It's all soundstage, yeah. 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 You Just, mean they weren't actually on a cruise ship? <laughs> they were not on a cruise ship, sorry. Where are they going to find one of those? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't like, like Buster Keaton buying a, a, a disused cruise ship to make The Navigator, where he just... On a, on a whim, buy a cruise ship and then build a, a, a movie around it. <laughs> you know, like th- that time was over because even though by the time we're doing the coconuts, or not so the card, by the time we're doing monkey business, you know, all the problems of the coconuts are basically over. Like sound is pretty good. They figured yeah. out how to like enc- encase the camera so it can be quiet. They figured out 
you know, better ways of miking and they've, you know, they've, they've done a lot. So there's way more mobility at the cameras at that point. But still, there just really is not the technology to, to film outdoors yet because they just would have been a ginormous noise machine. Oh, okay. They just would have crushed, you know. That was interesting because, like, off the top of the film, uh, the whatever they said the technology for sound recording was noiseless. It was like something yeah, was like noiseless yeah. technology. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, well, that doesn't sound good for your sound, that it's noiseless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they just had the lights out lighting. There was things that, you know, it took them a while to figure out, like, how to, like, what we do, which is to record a tone, like, room tone. And then later on, I'll use sound right. sound reduction to take out that tone. It took them a while to figure out how to do all these things. Yeah. And so they're still working from, you know, with some pretty basic, pretty basic things. Like, movies, in terms of, of, of dy- dynamic elements, really took a step back when the sound era started. Because movies became so studio bound, because they couldn't be these roaming films of the silent era, where you know you're, we're actually on a cruise liner at sea doing stuff. We're actually are on a train, you know, going and going over an actual, yeah. you know, track. And, and I mean, that's one of the advantages when they say you're going to shoot something in Los Angeles now, as opposed to back east, is that you can uh, shoot it outside and the mm. weather is consistent. So you can, if you need to do reshoots in sure. the spring and the fall, it's not going to look any different. Whereas in New York. You're locked into, yeah. you know, well, that's the true. that you shot in. That's right. And that was a big part in the silent era. One of the reasons they chose the West Coast was because you could have, you could just use sheets over top of the, the sound stages to filter the sun, but you had all this natural light that helped mm. with the filming. Uh, Good took, job, son. Yes, it was a big help. <laughs> so in the 1930s, there, there was a bit of a difference in the way films were made, and that was... Unlike, say, in the 50s, when you had actors and even directors who had more of a say over the product, in the 1930s, all the control over movies was entirely in the hands of the producer. And producers were assigned to, to actors. You know, so, you know, you had no say. You, you were just assigned a producer and he oversaw you. You may get someone who is completely incompatible with, who, with what you needed and would act as a block to, to your crea- creativity, say, Lawrence Weingarten being assigned to Buster Keaton to bring up Buster Keaton again. Or he really wants to do the Buster Keaton podcast. <laughs> you do. Yeah, I'm just saying, if you want to spend goodness. time with your dad later, that's a podcast to do. Okay. Right? It's the only way I pay to spend time with my children yeah, is doing podcasts. Podcast. Yeah. I mean, no offense, man, dad, but I don't think you're going to get me in a room to do a Buster Keaton podcast. What? You're no mini marks, is what she's saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So yeah, so the producer had the final say on, on all on all matters of film. Uh, but what was strange was that it was fell to the Marxes. Like it felt to Groucho basically to choose the writers of the movies. Mm. Like it just seemed to it seemed to be like understood in Hollywood or everywhere that there was no one who could write for the Marx Brothers except for the Marx Brothers, or who knew who could write for them except for the Marx Brothers. Mm-hmm. Because you know when you wrote a Marx Brother film, like most times when you write a screenplay, let's say, and then whoever you wrote it for doesn't want it, you can take it and you can sell it to someone else, and hopefully they'll like it and they'll act in it. But when you write a Marx Brothers script, you write a specific script for a specific group of people. It's going to be really hard to take that and just go, hey, let's get Bing Crosby and Bob Hope to do this. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to work because it's not, that's not their style. It's not, it's so specifically to this group of, of guys. So did, sorry, did sure. they have any interest in writing their own movie? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think they had the discipline to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like they were pretty, like, let's face it. They were guys in their forties who had, worked for a long time in a really hard occupation. And now they were kind of on easy street as far as they were concerned. Like doing movies was easy compared to doing vaudeville. Like you yeah. just came when you felt like it 
literally when you when they felt like it they showed up on this the set and did their bit it was boring because it movies take a long time you know they have to set up all the lighting and stuff like that and yawn but it was easy they weren't on a train somewhere they weren't doing two days they weren't doing split weeks they weren't whatever they just you know that was a lot easier even though they were still doing tours and stuff like that they did small tours they weren't doing like big grinds where it just went on and on for months and i actually kind of think that to a lot of people they actually did believe that the marx brothers didn't weren't written for that they wrote their own material on stage that it was that much in for improvisation yeah, you can that, see that yeah so you know and i don't think that how was could true Zappo have written that much material <laughs> That's right. how could he how could he re- take it hello like that? <laughs> done <laughs> done for movie so <laughs> goodbye done <laughs> so what happened was uh groucho and chico were were uh, approached by uh to do a radio show and so he needed writers for a radio show and so he turned to a friend whose name was will b johnstone who was a cartoonist uh most famous now for having created the very first image of a poor taxpayer wearing a barrel <laughs> that was his contribution to our culture and i think that's a pretty oh, big hey. contribution i'm seeing it a is. real barrel theme to this this writer if he ended up writing the uh this so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Later, he went on to create Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> so he had already worked with with um, the Marx Brothers. He wrote the he his brother wrote the music, and he wrote the the book for for I'll Say She Is, and he and Groucho con, uh, collaborated on the the famous Napoleon sketch from that from that. Uh, so Groucho did write. It's just that he preferred to write like he would write essays. Like he wrote for the New Yorker, and he'd yeah. write for Judge, he wrote a lot of Life, books. Yeah, the original humorous Life magazine, and stuff like that. He uh, did he did write uh, like a, a sketch, you know, like some sketches and things for reviews and things. But I just don't think he had the discipline, or or even maybe he just didn't think that he could do it because someone else had already written always written for them, right? Yeah, I mean, later on in life, he did you know a lot of talk shows and game shows and, mm-hmm. and hosted a lot of things. And I'm sure he was uh, fed a, a good deal of lines. Sure. But there was a certain amount of improv that he was doing, and he definitely knew how to do the Groucho oh, yeah. character. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he yeah, knew yeah, his yeah. beats. Yeah, and you know, he knew that if something was said and it had a certain double entendre element, he just had to raise his eyebrows and the audience laughed you yep. know, because they knew his character. So that's the value of having a char- character. Yeah. Right? Get fed up, you lean on your elbow <laughs> and just, yeah, again, look at the audience. I wish we could look at the audience. Yeah, yeah. I'd make darn this. this wish we had an audience. <laughs> Self burn. <laughs> the other, uh, the other person you brought in was um, uh, S. J. Perelman, who at that time was sort of an up and coming hum- humorist. He mm-hmm. was also a cartoonist, and he wrote. He was writing for Life and Judge, and then he started writing for the New Yorker around this time. He really liked the Marx Brothers. He had gone and seen them during the Home Again time. So he had gone to see uh, one of these kind of review shows where the Marx Brothers were kind of touring in between movies. And he sent his card backstage to, to, you know, to introduce himself to Groucho. And Groucho was a fan, so Groucho invited him backstage. Uh, much to uh, Perelman's shock, to his, his, him and his wife's shock, Groucho was in his underwear. Because <laughs> uh, he was in his dressing room, everyone. If you go see him in a dressing room, they're dressing. But anyway... He, uh, and if he's like an old-timey uh, performer, the last thing you put on are your pants. That is a thing. That's yeah. like a that's a thing because that's the you want to keep them nice and crisp and keep that crease on there. Yeah. So you can sit, you can do whatever you need to, take yeah. care of business, and then yeah, just before you go on stage, pants sharp, go. Nice. Yeah. It's a good good insight. That's a Don Rickles thing. Have you ever went to meet Don Rickles before a show? Always in his underwear. And you're like, why is this? Because of that old-timey show business. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah. So he um, he said to Perelman, look, I'm looking for someone to write this radio show. Would you be interested? And Perelman, of course, said, sure. 
And the reason that he, and he said, I've never had any experience. Like, I know nothing about writing for radio. And Groucho said, great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. <laughs> and that's why he also hired Johnstone, because Johnstone didn't know anything about writing for radio either. And he said, that's perfect. That's exactly what we need. So he put them together. That's also how they became his doctors. So he put them together and they were like working and they didn't, you know, they kind of, they didn't really know each other very well. So there's kind of like feeling out period where they're kind of trying to, Johnstone and Perelman are working together and they, they came up with one idea, like one kind of, they had one germ of an idea. And so then Groucho wanted to have like a meeting with them. They're just kind of like, oh, <laughs> so they go to this meeting and, uh, and they say this idea, which is. Uh, an idea of the Marx Brothers as stowaways on an ocean liner. That would be like the basis of this radio show. Yeah. And Groucho says, well, that's that's a movie idea. That's obviously the idea for the movie. That's what we, that's what that idea is for. So it's quickly, it's just decided that this is no good. This is, this is too good for radio. Yeah. We want this for the movie. Johnson and Perelman were hustled over to the Perelman offices, <laughs> taken upstairs. They were signed to a contract, $500 a week. And then within a week, we're on their way west to hollywood to start writing oh, movie. I, thought, I thought you were gonna say within a week we're fired no no <laughs> hollywood story and so yeah and so That's these great guys, so it's great these two guys who've never worked on a script before are sent west to work on their very first marx brothers film that it wasn't based on something that pre-existing although strangely enough what they came up with was very similar to the home again their their original their first kind of original sh- review after they stopped doing the hi- the fun at high school how thing. was it uh, similar the, that one was about a family coming back home on an ocean liner. Oh, okay. And the dad meets uh, the dad meets this young woman who's, I guess, in steerage, one of the lower parts of the boat. Right. And a la Titanic, he, the movie. That's right. That's right. <laughs> boat reverse. Boat reverse. Indeed. The boat comes from the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then he he wants some way to meet her when he get when he uh, when he when he, they come ashore. So he decides he's going to throw a party. And so they have this party, and so then he's trying to like get together with this woman while his wife is in trying to avoid his wife, and da da da. So there's a lot of business like that. And sure. of course, he meets Groucho and, and Harpo on the boat. These two kind of undesirables on the boat who are their stowaways, and and they come to the party, and it goes like that. So there's these sort of elements that were kind of fell into. So I don't know if I don't know if if uh, Perelman was sort of taking this idea from having seen Home Again and was like, you know, what would be good is if we made all of them stowaways, yeah, yeah, because that's way better. Than having, because you know, Groucho's character had changed so much. He was no longer like Mr. Green, the teacher, and that's what this home again was based on. Was this idea of he was still playing the the German professor character, yeah. you know? So he'd be doing like a German accent and a lot of dialect humor and stuff like that. And so this was, I guess, this is like an upgrade on that. Throw away the unnecessary. I know. Yeah, we're, we'll get to the we'll get to the plot itself as we go through it later on. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the things I did like was they just got to it. Yeah, yeah. You didn't have this thing of like having to meet them all one at a time, and here comes. Though I, you know, you can't beat here the Captain Spaulding song and hello, I must mm-hmm. be going. Yeah, fantastic. But it's just nice. Like you want them here, they all are. Let's just get started. Go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One thing that Marxes were fortunate was they were assigned uh, a producer named Herman Mankiewicz. Or Mankiewicz. I'm going to say Mankiewicz. That sounds better. Uh, and he was a very sim- sim- sympathetic producer for them. Like, he came from a comedy background. He actually was a New-, he- he was a New York journalist. He had written, like, he was a theater reviewer and stuff. And then he went back, he went west, and he got hired by Paramount to kind of re- revitalize their-, their writing department because sound films were coming in, and we need 
all these words suddenly. We need lots of words. So <laughs> he hired all these other journalists from New York to come out west and basically kind of created like the humor of the 30s, the kind of snappy. Oh, Because, okay. you know, all these guys were very snappy wordsmiths, you know, and they were a bunch of, you know, a bunch of hard drinking writers and whatnot. And so one of the ones would be Ben Hecht would be an example of one of the guys who came out with, uh, you know, were hired by Mankiewicz to come out there and start writing. And he also wrote this co-wrote the screenplay for Citizen Kane, for instance. He wrote the the first draft of the Wizard of Oz script, which isn't much because there was 10 writers on that movie. So, But it was his idea to like bring, like kind of make Kansas more important mm. to to act as a, as a, and he wanted it filmed in black and white so that when they went to Oz, the color yeah. would really pop then and you'd understand why well, this sort of change from this very bland, drab world to this bright and colorful world. Mm. So that was his idea. Mm-hmm. Even though m- much of what else he wrote was taken out of it, he at least had that German Because you really idea. wanted like uh, all the staff at the theaters to have people come out going, it's in black and white, I paid for a color movie, and getting <laughs> mad. I bet they did. I bet some people were just steamed when they went in and went like, this is black and white nonsense. It says color maybe. on the poster. Yeah, oh, maybe the so. The poster's in color. We yeah. said, what? But it was sepia. It wasn't mm-hmm. just black and white. It had a tone to it. Well, that's so maybe fine. They, then. They go, maybe they're like, well, you know. We I didn't guess say just, what color. I guess, I I guess, guess brown is a color. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Tea soak. I guess they just meant it was brown, I guess. <laughs> this guy's got some good credits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was also a notorious drinker and gambler. So Ooh, he fit, wasn't. He fit right into that. <laughs> so he was famously known, like, you couldn't disturb him after lunch because he was just, like, out cold on the sofa because he just had a mabibulous lunch and just came back and stumbled in and fell on face sure. first are on you his... talking like right after lunch or are you talking like the rest of the day following pretty lunch? much yeah pretty much okay. rest of the day following lunch yeah do not disturb him because yeah there's a story of perelman and uh johnson going in to ask him some questions about like the characters of marx brothers and just being like you know yelled at and sent scurrying back to their <laughs> tiny hole in the wall uh office by by this enraged guy you know Never wake me up when I'm... So when uh, Peril- when Perelman and Johnstone came to Hollywood, the Marx Brothers were leaving the- leaving North America. They were sailing to England. Uh, they were going there to do a, uh, like a, I think it was a four-week sta- stay or stand or whatever, four-week, what do you call that? Four-week... Run? Run at a at the, this uh, big vaudeville palace in, sure. uh, in London called The Palace hmm. uh, for this guy named... Uh, Charles B. Cochran wanted them to come and uh, and and do these shows, and so uh, they were going by, of course, by ocean liner to to Great Britain, and so so when uh, Donaldson and Perelman arrived in Hollywood, there was no one there to greet them, but Mankiewicz, who basically just said he warned them, he said, "This is going to be an ordeal by fire, so make sure you wear your bestest pants." That was his advice to them, kind of like when the other lady was told to wear her tin drawers by Harris for working with the. So apparently. Do not leave your bum exposed <laughs> to the Marx Brothers. Something will happen. Something will happen. So wear your asbestos pants. And uh, they're basically just given an office and just told just to start writing as you you know as you feel yeah. like it. You got six weeks. Just get to work and do not disturb me for one and a half <laughs> one and a half months. I don't want to see you again. So that was that was their that was their uh, thing. And at some point during the writing. When they were working on it, uh, they didn't know this, but Mankiewicz got a, a wire from the Marx Brothers firing Johnston and Perelman because they just they realized, why do we hire these guys who don't know what they're doing? Hmm. What, are, what kind of idiots are we? This is probably Groucho, of course, the famous second guesser. So he just sent a wire, fire them, we'll take, we'll, fi- we'll hire new guys when we get back. But Mankiewicz got the wire and just, he actually brought it to them to show it to them and then just tore it up. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> get, just keep working. So, uh, 
at some point uh, before they left, uh, Groucho was introduced uh, to an aspiring writer whose name was Nat Perrin. Now, Perrin had really wanted to work f for the Marx Brothers. He had written this script that was basically a, a Chico Groucho double talk bit. They're kind of famous bits. And he uh, had a connection through Moss Hart's agent. And he thought using, these, using this agent, he would somehow get this script to or sketch to Groucho. And then Groucho would read it and want, him, want to hire him. Well, that fell through. So then he begged to have a piece of stationery. So he took the piece of stationery, and so he took the stationery home and wrote this glowing recommendation for himself. <laughs> put that with the script, went to where the Marx Brothers were performing, and he got the doorman to give it to Groucho. And Groucho read it, and he was impressed, and so he invited Perrin in, and he hired him to write the movie. He said, do you have much experience writing? He said, no. He said, perfect. Another one. <laughs> So, oh, by the way, you're fired. He's he like, well, I fired the other two, so, you know. <laughs> so Perrin went that way. You get way. both of their salary. So I'm not sure when, the thing is, I'm not sure when Perrin, because as usual with these sort of stories, there's no there's no set timeline. because you know, So the way it feels is like Perrin didn't arrive till after the Marx Brothers had returned, because once they came back from from England and then went went west, Perelman and and Johnstone read their script to to the Marx Brothers, read their script, and it doesn't sound like anyone else had been involved in it, because before Groucho went there, he also hired uh, a friend of his whose whose name was Arthur Sheikman, who'd formerly been a, a journalist in Chicago, where the Marx Brothers had lived for quite a few years, and had you know invited Mar uh, Groucho to contribute to a column that he wrote in the paper, and so they became friends, and he and Sheikman uh, he helped. Groucho with his first book, which was called Beds, and then they wrote a, a sketch together for a review called Three is a Crowd in 1930, and so basically, to Groucho, he had hired Perrin, not Perrin, it was Chico's Gagman. So he's like, well, if Chico has a Gagman, I need a Gagman, so I'm going to get Arthur to help me, so he hires Sheikman, he says, you get out there, so you can be, you can write jokes for me, and then uh, so when they came back to um, New York, um, they did a, a act in a benefit review, which was staged by Haywood Brown as a as a kind of a benefit for out of work actors, because of course it was during the depression, and so Broadway was at a low ebb, and so there wasn't a lot of jobs to go around. So they helped out. They did a couple of nights there. Nice. The good times were over for John Johnson and Perelman. Here they they're told, you know, Marx Brothers are coming. They're going to want to read what you've written. Now they actually thought they had a great script, mm. to be honest with you, but they knew it wasn't like. They they're like okay well we got to read this so let's so they thought to make it extra good we're gonna insert like a lot of technical gobbledygook into here just so it you know it sounds even more professional so we're gonna have like we're gonna have phrases like irises and pans Ugh. and tilts and dissolves and Jackman shots and Denning shots whatever those are I don't even know and then at one point they even specified the camera would should vorka pitch <laughs> around the faces of the ballroom because remember we we're talking about vorka pitch Slavko vorka pitch oh, yeah, during sure. the coconuts. You don't remember that, I guess. I don't remember. Okay, well, he he uh, was this kind of famous, uh, I guess, obviously Russian guy who had created this montage technique. But he, the director, the director of the Coconuts, Robert Flory, yeah, and the great cinematographer Greg Tolan had produced this movie for ninety five dollars together. That was kind of the talk of the town for a while. So, so anyway, they threw that phrase in there just to make it sound seem even better. You know, these guys really know what they're talking about. They know what a dunning shot is, whatever that is. So. February 20th, 1931. Oh, I'm, I'm dreading hearing what happens now. Johnston and Perelman uh, came to the Marx Brothers Hotel no. to read to about 27 people. Oh, oh no. The Marxes. With a lot of Their wives oh. and family. Oh. Zeppo's two Afghan dogs. Chico's wire hair terrier. 
Dogs well, are horrible audiences for comedy. Paramount executives. <laughs> they, I mean, if it's a bunch of like anti-cat jokes, yes, but that's really about it. Herman Mankiewicz, Manke- his brother Joseph, who was no no slouch in the in the movie making business either. Uh, various gagmen, so Cheekman's there, Perrin's there. So these guys who are coming in, who are obviously they're competitive. They don't want to laugh at the jokes in this because they want to contribute. So they're they're they have no they have no uh, they have no dogs in this. And so, and also the Afghans and the there was and, enough dogs, yes. And the, the Afghans and the uh, and the terrier started fighting as well. So that's important to note. That's pretty good. So Use by that. by coin toss, it fell to Perelman to read the script aloud. The whole the whole script. All 126 pages of it. Oh my god! With with technical instructions. With technical instructions, because they thought they thought they'd be helping the director by adding in like all oh this all god. the all that stuff. That is that is still to this day a rookie mistake. Yeah. That is still to this day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you don't Slow need that. Slow pan to no. <laughs> I think Leave all that, that out. I think that these guys established it as a rookie mistake. Actually, yeah, they were like the first ones to be like, "Oh, I guess we'll help." Yeah, yeah, you know, the director doesn't really know what he's doing. So, as you can imagine, it did not go well. Pretty, pretty soon in, Harpo was asleep. Oh no! Uh, various executives were sleeping. Uh, uh, Sheikman himself said, "Perelman kept on reading." <laughs> Valiantly, I thought, I would have shot myself on page 25. <laughs> so when he got to the end of the script, Groucho summed it all up. He just said, it stinks. Aww. That was his summary of the script. They, they loved so much. They were so happy they'd written this thing. How long and have so they been working it. on it? Six weeks. Oh, no. <laughs> so. I mean, at least they were getting like $3,000 each. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good for that time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's good money. Which back then was $60 million. Yeah, basically. Not, not, not quite. Basically, it was good. though. It was good yeah. money. Uh, so then it fell to Perelman, Johnstone, Cheekman, and Perrin to write a new and better draft of the script with help from Groucho, Harpo, and Chico, of course. Yeah. Just and Mankiewicz. Stuff out. Plus, another cartoonist was hired, a cartoonist whose name was J. Carver Pusey, P-U-S-E-Y. Okay. The father, or the great-grandfather of Dan Pusey, the uh, Dan Close character. And then he wrote a pantomime script, uh, comic called Benny. And so I could see why they'd want him to come in because he did wordless comedy. So for Harpo, that would be perfect. Sure. So, And then another guy named Saul Violinsky, who was an ex-vaudevillian that the Marxists knew, his bit, on uh, he would play on stage, he would play the piano simultaneously while playing the violin, holding the bow between his legs. It's quite a bit. And then, uh, so he, he wrote... I have a question about sure, that. Sure, Did he do either of those things well? <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. Let me answer that without knowing. Uh, he did one well. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then, and then the Marx's uncle, <laughs> yeah. the Marx's uncle Al Sheehan was also brought in to write for it. Apparently, paid five thousand dollars, and he came up with one line for the movie. Do you know what that line? Which was? line? I do that know what that line is. All right. Can you Let's tell go. us now? And uh, give us a lot of technical directions before you do. <laughs> yes. So we vork a pitch with a Jackman <laughs> shot coming through from a Dunning angle. To ever since I have been married to this man, I have lived a dog's life. To which Grosso replies, maybe he got a dog license instead of a marriage license. I did laugh at that one last night, yeah. but that I think was I was the only one in the room to laugh at okay, it. Okay, here's where I think... That's during the uh, Thelma Todd uh, Grocho moment. Absolutely. <laughs> but here's where I think that's pandering. It's like, you know you're going to be reading this to a room full of dogs at one point. You're like, I'm going to throw in a <laughs> this came in after. <laughs> this came in after the dogs. This came in after the dogs. Like, you know, we're going to eventually have to pitch this to yeah, the dogs Yeah, that's true. More well. dogs will be there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And that's right. And the Afghans were from England, so they were British dogs. They were real. Smokes. Oh, they got a very different sense. Yeah, of they humor. have a different sense yeah. of humor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, they like a lot of class-based humor. <laughs> so, but I mean, if you think about like what their uh, what Uncle Al did for the Marx Brothers, 
I think they had no problem paying him $5,000 sure. for, for that. So the final script kept very little of the first draft. Uh, mostly just the part about the Marx Brothers being stowaways on an ocean liner. That's about oh. the only part that made it. Oh, man. And that was like, that wasn't even the script. That was just the, the radio pitch, wasn't <laughs> yeah. it? <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> uh, the final script was written by Perelman and Sheikman uh, with contributions from everyone else. And it was Sheikman's job to keep Perelman's more esoteric literary jokes to a minimum. <laughs> a few get in there, a few get in there. but And then it was Mankevich's job to keep, keep uh, she- or sorry, keep Sheikman's insistence on overfilling the whole gangster plot, the movie with that whole gangster plot. Mm. See, to him, the movie needed more of the gangster stuff. You that's, mean Chicago. Yeah, because that's it. Yeah. Uh, and so McEvoy was like, no, we don't want that stuff. You just want jokes. That's what we want. We just want jokes from the Marx Brothers. We don't want like a lot of gangster garbage. I mean, you know, not to jump the gun or anything, but like the whole movie could have done without the gangster stuff. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the gangster stuff does add, does give them like more reason to make jokes. Yeah, I, I guess so. You need to give the Marx Brothers a bunch of stiffs to play against. Yeah, yeah. And so it's good, like just the concept, since we were talking about the concept. Yeah, they're on. They're stowaways on a, on a cruise ship. Great. There's a bunch of stiffs. That's fantastic. Well, now we've run out of those stiffs. Yeah. Who are we gonna do? You know who's also a bunch of stiffs? Gangsters. It's like great. Let's play against those <laughs> stiffs for a while. Yes. And then, yeah. I mean, that's all you need. You need to just keep bringing in stiffs. Yeah. Yeah. The more people stiffs for them the to bounce bounce against. For sure. Forgot for sure. people to go. Hey, what are you? What's going on here? <laughs> Wait a minute. What? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that. So. Although the Marxists had some say over who the, the writer was, they had no control over who the director was. But once again, they were really lucky in the, the director of, of a monkey business. They got this uh, fellow named Norman Zed McLeod. The Zed uh, is for Xenos, mm-hmm. which is a weird... Is it? Yeah. Isn't oh. that weird? Isn't that what Scientology was... believes? Yeah, that's... I think you're thinking of... not Zen... It's not... Is it Xenu? Mm. But... What Marx Brothers did he work on? <laughs> <laughs> Here's into the volcano. Gummo. Gummo. <laughs> he, uh, the interesting thing about Xenos, because I, I was like curious, because he was a minister's son. So I was like, so I thought, first I thought, oh, Zachariah or whatever, Zebediah, or some kind of, some sort of sure. Old Testament name. And then I looked at, when I was looking at, looking him up, I was like, Xenos? So then I looked up Xenos, and it's related to, to the Book of Mormon. He's one of oh. the prophets of the Book of Mormon. Sorry. Sounded like Mormony. Gosh darn it, I went Scientology. Instead. Yeah, you should have gone Mormon. That would have been. Should have gone Mormon. Fix it in editing. Everyone <laughs> says. Hey Dave. Yes. Is that a Mormon name? Yes. Edit the other stuff. I will. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but I don't know if his father was uh, actually was a was a Mormon. I just there's no ref- record of that. But um, did you say that he was in politics? Who? His, the father? No, he was a minister. Oh. Okay. Like a, a minister in a church. Yeah. Oh, okay, but yeah. not a Mormon church. Don't know. Oh, all right. It's weird. Yeah. But uh, so um, McLeod was it was interesting because he was uh, he actually went to the University of Washington, mm-hmm. very close to us. He also uh, very close to Utah, but anyway, <laughs> where the Mormons live. Yeah, well, he wasn't from Utah. Um, sure. He <laughs> where was he from? I'm not sure. Okay. I can't remember now. I was he from? I didn't write it down. Arizona, because a lot of Mormons live there too. He was not from Arizona. Okay. He was like more. If we have any listeners that that know this, let yeah, us know. Yeah, let us know. So then uh, he, uh, yeah, he was a, like a, a heavy lightweight or light, sorry, light heavyweight boxing champ, mm-hmm. and he also was a pilot during World War One. He flew, uh, he was a fighter, fighter pilot. You know, kind of an interesting fellow. And then he, when he uh, started working for movies, he was a cartoonist. He drew these little cartoons on the intertitles, like on the the you know, and so when the words came up to tell people were talking. 
some movies that didn't have a lot of confidence in the humor of the movies <laughs> would rely on having a little bit of humor on the cards itself. Sure. And so he would draw these little cartoons on them. Cool. And so we went from that to becoming a screenwriter. And then he went from being a screenwriter to being a director. And he kind of became like, he kind of became, well, he was a, he was a journeyman director. Like he directed a lot of different movies, but he particularly special, specialized at doing kind of fantasy movies. It's interesting. Like he did Alice in Wonderland after he did Monkey Business. He did, uh, the Topper, the movie Topper. Do you know the movie? Mm-hmm. And Topper takes a trip, which are both kind of very fantasy movies, a lot of ghost stuff. That's ghost stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then have he you also. Have seen the Topper films? No, I've not. Oh, okay. Well, that's bad upbringing. But I just want to make a joke about Mormons. Please yeah. do. Um, being brought up in the Mormon church, he probably has a good grasp on fantasy. Oh, well, that's a deep, Ooh, uh, wow. that's a deep uh, anti-Mormon uh, slam <laughs> yeah, there. Man. She's not on next week's show. <laughs> She's saying very controversial things. I have some friends who grew up Mormon. I was oh, just okay. trying to make fun of Scientology. Yeah. That's okay. A, that's that's a, <laughs> He also directed uh, W.C. Fields in, in It's a Gift. Okay, I've seen that one. Used to have, I, I made you watch it. Oh, okay, well then uh, call me a liar. Yeah, you're a liar. It's the one where the he's uh, where the blind man's in the store and he's trying to turn to buy good. the yes. light bulbs and yep. I'll be with you a minute, Mister. I'll be here with you a minute. Yeah, and the he's trying to sleep and the the baby's dropping the thing into his mouth while he's sleeping on the porch. That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. Ball. Anyway, and then he directed uh, Danny Kaye in the Kid from Brooklyn and the Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Okay. He directed seen Hope and Crosby's uh, Road, to, Road to Rio. I have seen that. Okay. He directed Bob Hope in The Pale Face. Have not and seen in that. My favorite spy. Have not seen that. And okay. And he also directed one of the great musicals, which is uh, Lady Be Good, which had Eleanor Powell's fantastic da- dance sequence to Fascinating Rhythm. Okay. Which, All right. I've seen the dance sequence, but I don't right. know if I've seen the film. Because it's that one that's in, in, that's Entertainment that's 3, entertainment, yeah. where they do the split screen and they show how it looks in the movie. Then they show the behind the scenes, how they actually filmed it. It's very... You can see it on YouTube if people haven't seen it. I'll put it on the, I'll put it on the website. I'll try and remember. Uh, and then also, interestingly, he directed Buster Keaton in the Twilight Zone episode, um, Once Upon a Time, the ep- episode where Keaton's character goes back in time. You ever seen that oh, one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a quite a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he directed that as well. Also on YouTube, sort of, yeah. Sort of in near the end of his career, yeah. So, yeah, he had like a lot of skill. And yeah, a lot he's of, got a yeah. nice track record there. Yeah, so he... But what was interesting about him was that he, you know, say, unlike Victor Herrmann, who directed Animal Crackers, and... You know, really, Animal crackered the whip during the movie, like, just kept the Marx Brothers. <laughs> what was wrong? That was a good one. It was a bit of a reach. I should have, I should have, I did wrote it down and I should have said it better. <laughs> um, but I mean, pre planned jokes are usually the best ones. <laughs> I'm joking. I did not write it down. <laughs> sure. I just want to say that right now he's holding a piece of paper in front of him. So. And it says, wait for laugh underneath the next line. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just going to say, so unlike. So unlike what do you um, think, Groucho? Oh, Groucho, that's too cruel. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? I got to break up these fighting dogs over the side. <laughs> <laughs> it stinks. So, like, so you know, like I was saying before, he had like a like he had a background as a boxer. He was a fighter pilot, he, but he was a, actually a very kind of mild mannered person. Just kind of smoke his pipe, take in what was happening, and he kind of preferred to like weather the storm and then just have his say in the editing room. You know, like that's yeah. where that's where the movie's made. So. <laughs> So he well, he later said that um, often the Marx Brothers would get right out of hand and run away with a scene. They'd forget the business of a scenario and carry on making up the action in the spur of the moment. He said, I always let these scenes run until they dry up. And sometimes the funniest part of a scene has never been in the original plan. But he would still edit, you know, edit these scenes down to create the comedy. And he felt, but he felt like the Marx Brothers knew more about the movie, about monkey business, than he did. 
So rather than get indignant or angry or become tyrannical or imperious and interfere, he just kind of just kind of kept his hand on the rudder and just sort of steered the movie to completion. And actually, because of this, Marx Marx has really respected him. Mm-hmm. There's a nice shot of them together sitting in their chairs, and he's Mako. <laughs> Which I don't think there was no other director who was, you know, Victor Herman didn't become Hermo or whatever, you know. That's just, so they really did like him. And then, um, and because, uh, now that didn't stop them from being the Marx Brothers. So they still would crack up the crew and waste a lot of film. They would be late. They didn't like to film before nine. They liked <laughs> to have a long lunch. You know, they still did all that kind of stuff. But they listened to him because they respected him. Because he listened to them, you know, and so they had a good rela- working relationship. And I think you can see that in the movie. And I think it's interesting that this film has four cartoonists working on it. Perelman, Johnstone, Pussy, or Pusey, and McLeod. And you do get a real kind of surreal cartoony element to the film that comes out in, in, in the film. All right, that's the context. Do you want to talk about the movie? Nope. And so thanks so much for, uh, <laughs> for, for listening. This is, this is our, uh, our, uh, our show, The History Before Marx Brothers Movie. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, the, uh, the, no, the film itself, uh, I, I, just on a general level, sure. I liked it because, yeah, it didn't have as much of the plot. Mm. So because what do you want in a Marx Brothers movie? You yeah. just want them bouncing off people. Yeah. And I want to see a whole bunch of uh, funny bits. And that's that's what this had. And yeah. you're right. The premise of uh, them on a cruise ship. That's great. It's you know, perfect. I liked it. Perfect. I liked the opening title sequence with the barrels rolling and then seeing yeah. their names on them. It was the, like, uh, yeah, I made a note that it was like their most elaborate and effective credit sequence yet. Like the other ones are very plain. Yeah. And then it leads right into where they are. They're yeah. in the barrels. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's great. So the first shot of the movie actually opens on Gibson, the first mate, reporting to the captain that there are four stowaways on board. How do they know there are four stowaways on board? Because they're singing Sweet Adeline now in four-part harmony. Now, there's a thing uh, on the Wikipedia page. I, I, I did a little research. Oh, nice. That's good. Um, on the Wikipedia page saying this, uh, there's controversy whether or not Harpo was singing. Because this would be his, uh, his he, yeah. he would be like on camera singing. But I disagree with Wikipedia. Yeah, because he's, he's not, not, on, camera, not on camera. He's in the barrel. Yeah. And my mild, stupid theory is that he's too shy to talk in public. But in a barrel, he could sing. <laughs> yeah. So that's fine. So yeah. like when they say I know this for, then clearly he is singing and he's singing in the barrel. Oh yeah, I think yeah. so too. I think he's singing as well. Agree. Oh yeah, yeah, right, totally. Good. So. The other great thing is that they're writing insulting letters to the captain. <laughs> yes. I think that's the best thing. Like if you are, if you have the, if you have the gall to be a stowaway, but to just like double down on the on the absolute yeah. nerve of it all to to write. Yeah, to, to call also the, call the captain old goat. <laughs> well, I'm an old goat, am I? <laughs> so so Gibson is played by Tom Kennedy, who is one of those actors that when you look him up, you're like, you know, he started in the silent films. And he, working for Hell Roach and Max Sennett. And then he just played, he was just a perfect comical heavy. That was his thing. And he appeared like in over 300 films and TV shows. Like oh my he's, goodness. You know, because in those days you just worked. You just worked all yeah. the time, you know. It's like John Wayne was like 250 movies or whatever, you know, like it's crazy. And then the captain was played by Ben Taggart, who is possibly a Canadian character actor or was somebody who was born in Washington. That's the two, there's two different, two different things I read about him. Who's basically his career started with, with monkey business. I believe he is also the a- agent in uh, that little movie that we saw. We'll that we will discuss yeah, we'll at, a, at a later time. Yeah. Once again, folks, we do apologize for the sirens, but uh, we, as we've said, we record the show in the middle of the road and we pass the savings <laughs> on to you. Here's the, here's the weird thing about, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this. Yeah. 
where you know the whole thing is uh, they're the four Marx Brothers, and yeah. the gag is uh, Harpo doesn't speak. Yeah. And we all enjoy that Harpo doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of really good physical business he did. Uh, I don't think Zeppo sp- spoke until like 15 minutes in. Like yeah. Zeppo said nothing off the top either. Did he not did say he something? Say, the, did, he, he, did he say something right off the top? I think he did say something in like the Like one line and then yeah, yeah. Uh, everyone else just went nuts? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wasn't sure. I think he like, said, by the time he got so into some... I don't remember him saying anything. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't even... But to be honest with you, I don't even remember him coming out of the barrels and all the other ones were. <laughs> so maybe... Yeah, yeah, he did come yeah. out of the barrel. Yeah, he came out of the barrel and it looks totally great. Mm. Looks like a million bucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like, uh, so it's like they all get to do their bit, but Zeppo doesn't really have a bit, so there's nothing for him to do. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, but, and this was the first Zeppo. movie, and we'll get to the specific scene, where I felt Zeppo had something to do. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're making Zeppo this. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. We, we, have, uh, we have a reason for Zeppo now. This yeah. is great. I was very happy for Zeppo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so we cut to the four barrels, uh, and Mark Kippard Herrings, which is, yep. which is good. <laughs> and then they pop out of the barrels, and we get... We get some good double talk from them, a lot of bad puns and whatnot, some hair mail jokes and, and things like that. And then uh, and then they have to hide because Gibson is coming down with several crew members. And uh, after some hijinks, the four barrels are taken up into the deck. And this is like, to me, one of the greatest parts of the movie is where the barrels come up and all four of them are cro- crouching <laughs> together. And they're all, all this, there are bits of detrite, all their garbage around them, you know, to sort of tea kettles and a, you know, obviously... Uh, Chico's uh, wine bottle in, with a straw, you know, straw kind of holder <laughs> yeah. around it. And, Harpo's uh, brushing a kettle with a uh, with like a big brush, I believe. It's <laughs> combing a kettle. Yeah, <laughs> solid, solid business. Uh, interesting thing in this film that you would not get in a modern film is uh, none of them have names. They just don't bother to name. No, any of they them. don't. That's right. Yeah, it's interesting because I was looking at because uh, I was curious about their names in the movies. Often Groucho has a name. They all have in every movie they have names except for the coconuts where they did have names but they took them they did have names in the stage play but they took them away for the film because okay. their names were had a had a uh, ethnic element to it that they just wanted to get a, get away from because Chico was like so and so the wop ah and so they didn't want to good call yeah let's good get, call let's get movie. rid of that stuff yeah yeah but this is the only film where they are credited by their names because they're not named during the film. Yeah, it's such is... a strange thing. You think like all these moments where, and I think there's one point where a ca- the captain does say, you know, who are you? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm waiting. Oh, let's see what his name is. Oh, it's not saying. He's not going to say his name. Like, there is no name. Yeah, okay. there's no names. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they're only Maurice Chevalier. Am I wrong about that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, so then they're chased up onto deck. Where and uh, with some great stuff, the rolling of the uh, lifesaver down the down the aisle and thrown onto the guys onto the uh, extra, and then stopping to play an impromptu concert on saxophone. <laughs> Three saxophones and one pianist. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah which which gets applause, which is also great. Yeah, that's the thing. Everyone acknowledges they are good musicians. Yeah. What's what I thought was interesting about that was this is the only Marx Brothers the only Marx Brothers film that features all four Marx Brothers on their instruments because mm. Zeppo played the saxophone, Grotto played the guitar. And then, of course, we know that Chico and Harpo did their piano and harp bits. Groucho didn't, once they started moving to movies, Groucho opted to not do the musical, his musical parts that would have been in the reviews. Yeah. And Zeppo also got written out of that as well. <laughs> so just because even in movies where they tried to like not have Chico and Harpo play, Chico and Harpo would somehow get it, get around to their, their, their uh, bits in the movies, except for one film. Oh. 
I just uh, I was just horrified that there was a band that had three saxophones. Like, what? Who needs that? Three <laughs> saxophones? <laughs> I'm sorry. There is no need. Two, perhaps. Perhaps. But, but like even at that ratio of three two saxophones to two other instruments really yeah that's that way necessary? too many saxophones i don't know what you guess you seem to i mean the, saxophone. They, they did they did uh sound pretty good though yep to their credit um then uh what i also like is when they stop playing and put the instruments down there's that applause there's this applause that, there's no one in the in that there's no audience there so where is this applause not that from? you can see it's just sort of this ghost applause that i like that they added that in just oh, to okay. make the movie i thought um, i thought we cut to the audience really quick no no, we no 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 huh. There's right. no audience. Yeah, they just fair enough. Just plays that and then it no, it does. Cuts off. It does cut to the audience. I'm pretty no, sure it's right. Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. No, it doesn't. Yes, it, yeah, does. it does. No. Yes. No, it does not. It does not. Honestly. Do we want to take a, a moment and take a look? Sure, if you want to. Okay. Yeah. All right. Pause. Pause it, Dad. <laughs> So we've decided we're just going to agree to disagree. Okay. <laughs> I think we've decided that I was correct. There anyway, is no uh, shot of the know, audience there's there. There's all, you know, uh, everyone's opinion is valid. So uh, Not um, if it's wrong, but anyway. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, yes, let's move on. Uh, let's move on past your horrible error. So then uh, Harpo hides beneath a woman on a deck chair. Great gag. Strangely enough, as well as a man who was also hiding underneath that the woman. That was fantastic. I don't know why the man was hiding under the woman. I don't but... know, but that that's probably one of my favorite jokes in the whole thing, was yeah, just the reveal great. of there was a, a, and that, was a double gag. And that actor does a great job of looking, you know, just has that great look of, you know, like, kind of hot and, and bothered with his hair, you know, and everything <laughs> just kind of, ugh. What happened? He's, like, way further down in that deck chair than you should be able to be. Look, there's a lot of logistic chair. problems with that. How does Harpo sneak underneath there? How did the other guy get underneath yeah, there? Was yeah. the other guy there first? It doesn't matter. It's just a solid weird gag. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. So then Groucho uh, comes sliding down the rail, which is pretty great, impressive, actually. Yeah. It's a great slide. You know, obviously, there are years of running around on stage. Just kept, they kept, kept them fit. Like, even though they're in their 40s, they are pretty youthful, the way they run around and... and and they do a lot of a lot of physical activity in this movie. Uh, Groucho meets the captain, accuses him of incompetence. In a kind of Margaret Dumont type scene. Yes, very much. This with, is, with, without yeah. the affection that Margaret Dumont usually has for Groucho. Mm, mm. I kind of I miss Gr- Margaret Dumont in this one. Yeah, me yeah. too. I forgot that she wasn't in it until the movie started. And I was like, I didn't see her name in the credits, I guess. Yeah. This is one of the movies she's not in. Gro- it was Groucho's decision to not use her. And I don't know if it was because they had gone west and she was based on the east east coast, mm. or if he just wanted to get away from using the same stock character, you know, for every movie. Yeah, I don't know where she would have fit in this. Yeah, that too. Well, I, I can tell you. We'll t- we'll talk about it. Talk about it later. I'll tell you where she would have fit in this movie. Okay, because I think it's, it was a mistake to not have her in the film myself. Oh, all right. Hmm. Um, strong words. Strong <laughs> opinions over here. <laughs> and then he takes over the captain's office. Yes, which is pretty pretty great. I love when he's. Uh, Doing the dancing and uh, and so then he orders the captain's dinner and lunch. That's right. And says he's the captain. Says he's the captain. And then uh, he goes into the captain's office wait, when the wait. lunch arrives. Oh, sorry, quickly. He mm-hmm. also asks the engineer to stop the boat from rocking so he can have his lunch. <laughs> that's and right. then uses that little speaker thing as an ashtray. Yes, that's, that's, that's pretty good. great. Yeah. Is that yeah. where also uh, it's like, would you like to see the captain's? quarters as like uh that's bunk that's the bunk yeah that's, 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 or that's, that's the debunk that's the debunk yeah, yeah yeah which is a great joke and then um so then they begin to um eat dinner or eat lunch with the captain <laughs> who of course does the usual thing of suspecting their stowaways but not stating 
you know, I think there's a couple of who's running around, some guy running around with a big black mustache. You know, well, that's not much fun to run around with. This things like that, you know. And then, and of course, then they lock him in his office. And then Gibson comes in, recognizes them, and then they run around collecting food and <laughs> departing again. Circling the table about four times, <laughs> grabbing all the food they can. Then there's a great bathroom gag with Harpo, where he's standing in front of the sign. Yeah. It and says, it says uh, men. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, that's a very good joke. Um, and, you know, who contributed, who knows, but yeah, just these little kind of visual, little funny gags and I, stuff I'm, like that. I'm that gonna pepper the movie. Any money. Not any money, because I just had a big mistake a little while ago. Uh, <laughs> Already owes me $100 for that. I would bet you 10 Canadian dollars that you will see that joke at least three times if you watch the total history of Benny Hill. Yeah, is that right? I will bet you. Yeah, that seems yeah. like the kind of joke they would do on sure, that show. Sure, sure. But this was first and best. First and best. Always best. Uh, so then Zeppo meets... Get something to do. Meets a young woman, later revealed to be Mary Helton, daughter of Joe Helton, yeah. the, the gangster. Who, wait. Whose name I embarrassingly forgot. I referred to her as that girl. What's her name? <laughs> then I realized her name was the same as mine. Her <laughs> uh, name is Helton. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's just interesting <laughs> to me that, that it took this long to give Zeppo the the role that he should have had two right. two movies ago. He's a love ago. interest. Yeah, he's a good love interest. He's glib, charming. He makes yeah. a good joke to, walking along the deck of an ocean liner, saying "Mighty pretty country around here." <laughs> You know, it's a good joke. Like, he actually gets some fun. And, yeah, you yeah. can see why she'd fall for this guy. That's right. Yeah, I like when she takes out her handkerchief and throws it down. It's yeah. like, oh, this is a really charming, mm-hmm. oh, nice, this yeah. is okay. Yeah. You've given the straight guy something to do. He is the romantic you know, mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Excellent. It's, it is Well fun. done. I'm looking forward to seeing all the great scenes we're going to see with Zeppo, but the rest of them, oh, we're just, that was it. Okay, that's <laughs> fine. He'll get to, we get a little bit he'll more. He'll get to fight someone awkwardly later. We get a little bit with more. With the worst punch I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> uh, so Mary Helton was played by an actress named Ruth Hall, who uh, was f- from Florida. And what's interesting is uh, her real name was Ruth Gloria Blasco Ibanez. And it was her, her uncle wrote the, the books uh, Blood and Sand mm-hmm. and The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, or, which were both uh, Rudolph Valentino vehicles. I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. A bit of trivia. And then she later would star, interestingly enough, in The Kid from Spain with Eddie Cantor, with the script by Harry Ruby and Bert Kalmar, who were not involved in this movie, but we know them. And she also did some early John Wayne films when he was pumping out those movies and the, the cheap odors. Um, so let me. And, oh, you mean odors, right? Like yeah, odors? Odors, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure if it was odors. Uh, I would, sorry. I soften, I soften everything I say. I get softened. Yeah. We've had a real this stinks thing in the past, so I just want to make it very clear. <laughs> Harpo hides in a puppet show. It's like oh, so good. Great, Punch and Judy, yeah. Great moment. And a Punch, yeah, and a Punch and Judy show where he is discovered by Gibson. And then we learn from the captain that Gibson has some problems. <laughs> right, but, but, but let's go back to the Punch and Judy show. Yeah. Where's the puppeteer go? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. There's no puppeteer. No, there's not. Oh, they're just puppets that are alive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. creepy as hell. Yeah, he goes behind there. A yeah, very yeah. funny bit. Then the Punch and Judy are, are, are each hitting him. Good bit. And then, and then he ducks down because he seems like he's had enough of the puppeteer and is going to fight him or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we never see the puppeteer again. No, it's interesting. So like I was saying, so... Or the puppets. <laughs> yeah. So because the, the Marx... What's interesting is the Marxists had... Like they'd gone to England. They'd gone to England. Uh, they went over there. They took Margaret Dumont with them. They took Ed Metcalf, who played the police detective in Animal Crackers, who he was in charge of getting Harpo to drop all his knives and forks out of his, his sleeve. And, a classic uh, gag. Cra- classic gag. Later seen in Futurama. Continue. Oh, really? Yes. Really? Okay. Yep. 
Uh, uh, the, the comic book or the TV series? Uh, sorry, the TV series. Bender, I believe, drops um, a, a comical amount of silverware out of a sweater he's wearing. Why mm. is he wearing a sweater? He's a robot. That's the joke. <laughs> I think I think you're correct about that. The comic book is also quite good. If you it is yes, pick that up. yeah. I no, mean, um, the I've heard the writer is very funny. Thank you very much. No, okay, not naming right. any names. No, we don't. Shouldn't name names. Okay. It was you know I was classy earlier when you mentioned the New Yorker. I didn't mention that I write cartoons for the New Yorker. Did you see that? that yeah, was no, called that was humbleness. No, that was very good. That was very. very good. Uh, I it was, I'm playing it cool. I thought it was called forgetting to say that. <laughs> So I think back it's, to you. I, I think get, I get really Punch and Judy by this guy. I think it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, with Punch and Judy, I think they must have seen Punch and Judy during their ocean voyage sure. or while they're in England because it's not a it's not a North, North American thing. Like there's no way did I ever see a Punch and Judy show growing up as a kid, oh, except except on television from British television. Oh, okay, yeah, maybe I never. I saw it there. You no, know, they just don't have it here. We don't have pier sides where you go down the pier and there's some Punch and Judy man doing his show. Yeah. What, what something I did like off the top of that was him just, uh, Harpo just sitting and watching the, watching it and laughing and pointing. Mm-hmm. I think anytime you've got Harpo acting childlike, yeah. that really sums up what he is. Yeah. And it just makes yeah. this innocent, fun character. Yeah, enjoying so, it with the kids as yeah. well. And then, uh, in, interesting, when, when Grocho was going back from his trip, when he's going through customs, he, uh, for occupation, he wrote his name. He did not write Grocho Marx. He wrote Julius H. Marx, which was his name. For his occupation, he wrote smuggler. <laughs> and when asked if he had any items purchased outside the United States, he replied, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> so basically, he succeeded in having his entire family brought into a room and thoroughly searched and all their belongings gone through. And the only reason he didn't complain is he was hiding a watch in his mouth. <laughs> and later on... We've got ways of making you talk. Later on... <laughs> tick and talk. The... Uh, what? Come on! <laughs> Later on, uh, the uh, the store reported that he had bought the watch. They had to file with foreigners bought stuff yeah. and send it to customs. And so they reported. So then, like a few weeks later, the customs officers show up at his door for the money anyway. So he really could have just saved himself the trouble. I think that's why there's a little bit of customs f- yeah. tomfoolery at the end of the film as well. So anyway, so Harpo escapes uh, the captain and Gibson on, on a little wagon on a track, which is a great visual thing with that mask on the back of his head. As he rolls down the ramp and yeah. out the door and then around the corner. And then we come to cut to Chico. Chico. Oh, we did miss uh, learning about Gibson's, um, Gibson's oh, I mentioned that. drinking problem. I didn't mention that he had some past problems with yeah. alcohol the captain brings up in front of a bunch of kids. <laughs> always classy. It's classy to bring that up in a group of people. Oh, I also really like about that scene um, is that there's like zero adults in that whole yeah, room yeah. and it's entirely kids mm-hmm. and having worked in child care i'm like that's not a ratio you can't do that ratio anymore come on it's 15 to 1 in here in vancouver you need many adults in that room for that many children not in those days that also, was just a dumping off spot this is the only chance the adults have to have fun yeah, yeah. Like, no, you go and, yeah. you can watch the hour-long punch and judy show mom and dad are gonna <laughs> You watch the Punch and Judy show. Mom and Dad are going to have their own Punch and Judy show. Don't worry, it'll get exciting. He'll kill her. <laughs> then they'll go to hell. Yep. Have you, let's just say, if you haven't seen a Punch and Judy show, watch a traditional one. It's, it's a little messed up. Yeah, I have not seen one. Oh, it goes places, but yeah. this is not Punch and Judy uh, uh, show. Yeah. Uh, sh- check it out. Look, yeah. look it up again, Wikipedia. Uh, check out what a typical plot is. There's a lot of stuff that goes down. Yes. Yikes. Gets dark. I think so, it's funny. I think it's dark. <laughs> so we cut to Chico, mm-hmm. who's hiding out in the ship's barber shop, uh, making time with the manicurist, which I think is great. <laughs> yes, because uh, I just love how, I love how, the approach. How, how long? How long do you want? Yeah. Uh, about an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like you know you really got it. 
Oh, thank you. And you can keep it. That's <laughs> yeah. like a weird, like the weird yeah. way of flirting like, and turning yeah. it off. Yeah. You can never, yeah. Um, Dad, I believe that's called negging. <laughs> yeah, so. he invented negging. <laughs> it used to be called nego. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing with the uh, with the Marx Brothers. Is like they do the hardcore flirting. Yeah. But if anyone flirts back, then they just like. Ugh. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's just, <laughs> yeah. Immediately. Just, yeah. There's no, no. No dice. Yeah. There's no no human connection to them. They're just. With they're just, the exception of Zeppo. Yes. Yes. Um, it is funny though that at part in the film, uh, Chico and Grocho both mention that they have families, and I think Grocho mentions that he has a wife. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right. So maybe Chico has a wife too. Mm-hmm. Huh? We don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Why does the barber leave? Is he like insulted by Chico or Chico or some in some weird way? Oh, um, because Chico. Um, says that he is going to have his lunch there and then takes out two pieces of bread and says, mustard's no good without roast beef and then throws the slices of bread on the ground. <laughs> and I think that that insults the manicurist and the barber. And, well, the manicurist leaves because oh, yeah. uh, uh, Harpo arrives. And yes. All blonde ladies have to run away when Harpo enters the room. Yes. Um, I mean, so he does have that mask on the back of his head still. I that's think. true. Well, that comes off, though, when he crashes and hides under the carpet. <laughs> great. A great moment. They play uh, barbers to the ship's second mate, yep. who has a magnificent mustache, which they at set up. They set up earlier. Was it? At least at first he does. Yes. And can I just say that this is possibly the best scene in the whole the whole film, Why? in my opinion? Why? Ah. I just think it's hilarious. Did they cut off his mustache? Yeah. Oh, well, I just like it when he keeps saying, "Just a little, a little snoop," you know. <laughs> I just, I don't know why. I find that That's so funny. Perfect. Uh, I mean, one more snoop. One more little snoop right in the middle. <laughs> I love when they measure. Oh. I love when they measure the yeah. the two. They these two, uh, not tape measures, but what would you call that? This like two, yeah, like measuring, like measuring, measuring tape. I would, I would for, call it measuring tape, but uh, but you would mean. use for like like a tailor's tape, sure. basically. Yeah. And they measure measure out and they're like, oh, make a little bit more, you know. Oh, like, no, it's about a foot too long, yeah. and then Harpo <laughs> tries to cut off his foot. <laughs> And then I was like, no, 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 not that. And then they cut, they, right. they just cut the measuring tape, and that's that's perfect. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> so the second mate was played by an actor whose name was Otto H. Freeze, and it, once again, a character comedian who uh, did a lot of what he would do actually when he did, you know, work for Senate, work for Educational, for all these movies, all these different studios, and he would do the German language versions of their movies mm. because in those days they couldn't actually dub early sound movies anyway. That's why they had the orchestra sitting off to the side playing the music live for the microphones. And so, yeah, they would do like, this is that famous famous uh, Dracula, the Bela Lugosi Dracula. And then there's one they made simultaneously, which was, the, which was a Spanish version. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and you can, it's a bit longer, I think, as, than, the, than the Bela Lugosi one. So they use the same sets, same script, the same everything, but it's just different actors because they're, they can speak Spanish. Some actors were clever enough to be able to learn phonetically quickly sure, sure. Uh, another language and do their parts. Buster Keaton was able to do that. He was able to do phonetic versions of his sound of his talkies, but a lot of actors didn't bother. They would just bring in, and because Keaton was pretty specific, you needed his skills. Oh yeah, yeah. For the films, you can't be replaced. They did that yeah. for uh, Canadian uh, drama uh, a couple of years ago, a hockey drama. Okay. They got all bilingual performers, and they would do the scene, and then they would do it in English, and they would do it again in French. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. You know, one yeah. after the other, mm. and then just sell it to both markets. I don't <laughs> think it worked. So anyway. <laughs> Back, back to that. Oh, by the way, I liked also Harpo doing the uh, sharpening the blade and then running it through wood. Yes, <laughs> yeah, that's really keeps the blade sharp. Yeah. Nothing like just the idea that like, like you cut with this horrible dull blade. Yeah. It's just so chilling. <laughs> and once again, this freeze uh, was in a lot of movies. Over 129 films between 1920 and 1938. 
And we'll see him again in another movie. I won't tell you which movie. Is that point that we get to meet cliched gangster Elkie Briggs, which is a great name. Elkie Briggs is a good name, but and his wife slash mall Lucille, played mm-hmm. by uh, Thelma Todd, who is tired of having to hide in her cabin while Briggs attempts to negotiate with Joe Hel- Joe Helton. So we got a, a good little scene there. I'll just say that Elkie Briggs was played by another character actor named Harry Woods, who is famous as a villain. He played villain sure. in about 250 movies, Ooh. most particularly. Uh, or none noteworthy, but just kind of like a lot of Westerns and stuff like that, where he was like the town boss or the bad sheriff or the villain or whatever. And apparently a well-liked guy, but just obviously the villain. So, yeah. yeah. Just had that voice. Why you? And then uh, Lucille was played by Thelma Todd, who was a very popular comedian. Like she was actually a pretty well-known actress to come into the, to come into this movie. She had worked with, uh, for Hell Roach Studios for a long time. She was, she worked with Lauren Hardy. She worked with Harry Langdon and, uh, Charlie Chase. Who were all like pretty big, pretty big uh, silent film comedians. Like all of them, I don't know if Laurel and Hardy did, but uh, Langdon definitely and and Chase did features. So you know they were pretty, they were pretty big comedians. And then she also did like uh, she was also in the very first version of the Maltese Falcon, mm. playing uh, Miles Archer's widow. And then she did a bunch of shorts uh, for Hell Roach with an actress named Zesu Pitts. I always thought it was Zazu Pitts, but apparently it's Zesu Pitts. And later Patsy Kelly, and where they would usually they'd be like. Uh, kind of working girls like secretaries or whatever and then usually it was her her part in it was to sort of re- remain poised and charming uh while trying to like be unembarrassed by their bumptious friend who was you know making causing a lot of problems and then she acted with wheeler and woolsey who yeah. of course like hip hips hooray which had a script by who harry ruby and burt kalmar you're right and then <laughs> wouldn't have guessed yeah, that but all right continue i love your faith though and <laughs> And then, uh, then anything about Thelma Todd? Anyone? Anyone? Yes. Anyone? (laughs) Bueller. Bueller. Todd, she she ran like a roadhouse. She owned owned and ran a road, like she bought and managed this roadhouse eatery, which is kind of popular with actors, actors and actresses. And then, but she died in strange circumstances where she had, uh, she was found dead in the garage of the ex-wife of her boyfriend and business partner from carbon monoxide poisoning. And apparently the, the, ex-wife would not let her into her house and so Todd had gone into the garage and was just running the car to keep warm using the heater to keep warm and she lesser known in those days the dangers of carbon monoxide poisoning and they do a joke uh, about that in this that's yeah. right and there's that little joke in it that's kind of has this where he says uh, she says I need a break and he says well I can feed you know I can we can change your brakes you just have to stay in the garage all night yeah which had you know an unfortunate later I mean, obviously they did not know or foresee this horrible end for Thelma Todd how many um, years later was that? Mm, what year? What year? Maybe did she five die? years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe five years later. Maybe maybe a little bit longer. But yeah, she didn't live too much longer after that. Oh, sorry to hear Sad. that. Mm-hmm. No, she did. A, she did a really nice job with yeah, this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when they both show up, you know, it's just like you could have a sign on the door going "the plot room." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the, here we go. Here's where the plot starts. The pl- yeah, the plot starts, and with the, in brackets, "happy now." <laughs> All right, and now we'll just get on with this. No, no. Happy now, ladies, because we all know that it's ladies who demand a romantic plot in a movie. They're never happy with just. Well, they were fun also dazzled by the size of that closet. That's true. Can I just say that all of this is so true? <laughs> <laughs> that was sarcasm, in case people didn't pick yes. up on that. Okay, thanks. Thanks for your putting it in italics for us. Yeah, no problem. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so we cut to Groucho, who's been spotted on deck. Does that wonderful throwing the the deck chair in front of Gibson who tumbles over it, <laughs> and then uh, he uh, has to 
takes steals the 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 dress from the the ship's tailor who's delivering a stuff which is weird there's a ship's t- tailor right mm-hmm. but i guess when you're on a long voyage like i that, mean it's it's really not that weird when you consider things that those ocean liners had yeah, like when you yeah. look at all the amenities on like the titanic yeah and stuff it's like oh my goodness who needed that did you really <laughs> need a school on your boat well yeah. it depends how long you know your trip yeah. is yeah. boat school yeah boat school i <laughs> mean like, so, so you uh, break a zipper what are you gonna do yeah that's true yeah to? yeah you go with your uh, business hanging out for you, the rest of the trip. You pull out your pants and like, oh, I forgot to get them hemmed. I better go to the ship's and tailor. And as the person there says, you know, uh, where are my pants? You're wearing them. <laughs> so clearly that guy has pants issues. Yes, he does, as well as drinking issues. Um, that's why he doesn't realize he's wearing pants. That's right. <laughs> the opposite would be more embarrassing. So, uh, yeah, Grocho steals a dress from, from this uh, delivery guy, and he enters Briggs' cabin and hides in the closet. Briggs... Apparently unfazed by the fact that someone has entered the room and hidden his closet, <laughs> leaves also to find Joe Helton. He refers to him as the tailor. Yeah, I believe before leaving. Yeah, yeah. The room, and he's like, you know, the tailor, the eunuch. <laughs> like, is well, he yeah. is he not back like, then? I guess a tailor, a woman's tailor. Yeah. yeah. If someone was to tailor dresses for women, perhaps that would be a safe occupation yeah. for a gangster to think would be around yeah. with his mall. That's mm. a good point. Yeah. I, I, like, I guess they just go in the closet. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a fair. pretty, it's a pretty neutered, pretty yeah. neutered uh, yeah. role. Yeah. yeah. So then Groucho, you know, in his special way, flirts with uh, Lucille. <laughs> right told, on the bed. Who, yeah. <laughs> oh, with no. his shoes. Oh no. That's you so won't, disturbing. won't get me off this bed. <laughs> who tells Groucho she feels trapped in her life and needs cha-cha-cha. Repeating his earlier line. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's right, yeah. And uh, we get to see a little bit of... And apparently, Thelma Todd brings out Grocho's guitar playing. Uh, that's a bit of foreshadowing. And there was a guitar by the bed. Strangely. But <laughs> oh, what the heck. Yeah. So, does she play guitar? Nothing needs to does be explained. Does the gangster play guitar? Or is it just a magical Groucho thing and here comes the guitar? Yeah. I, uh, I choose that one, personally. Yeah, I would Just like, you too. know, everywhere Harpo goes, there's a harp. Yeah, true. that's I true. imagine. Yeah. Now, Briggs returns, and now he takes offense at Grocho's uh, presence in the room. And then, uh, I mean, in in Briggs's defense, Grocho did definitely try to kiss him, assuming he was yes, that's uh, true. his yeah. his wife. Yeah. Yes. But what's interesting is that Briggs, of course, is, wants to kill Grocho now, but he can't because Grocho carefully avoids all gangster cliches, and so Briggs can't shoot him because Briggs has to shoot him after he goes, no, no, it's not the way he looks, Alki. This is you know, or some some you know has to has to you know whine and 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 that's yeah, like go ahead get it over with. Yeah, that's right. It's so I like your nerve, but of course they're joined by Zeppo as well. So then Zeppo. Yeah, I like that mafia guys all think these are tough guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're yeah. like they're like oh yeah, you got good nerve. Yeah, no, you're strong. And like no, they're just they just don't <laughs> yeah, know what's going on. Guys, yeah. <laughs> they have no idea, no concept of life or death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of my favorite um, moments in that scene is when. Briggs is like, you know what I have here? And he's got his uh, gun in his pocket. Yeah. And Grocho leans over and looks inside the pocket and is like, oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> you got a gun. I can see it. It's there. <laughs> yeah. Also, oh, no, never mind. I was going to say, I wonder if they didn't show it because they weren't allowed to show it. But I forgot oh, it's no, a pre-code movie. Yeah, so, yeah it's pre-code. And which is why of... there's so many sexual in- innuendos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then... then... Uh, Zeppo and Grocho are hired as bodyguards by by uh, Elkie Briggs because he's so impressed by their insane <laughs> courage. Just, just as you say, it's just, just it's not because they're actually brave. It's just that they're apparently they're apparently made of rubber and have yep. no and there's no worry for them in this world. Which I uh, mean, I think is kind of how the Marx Brothers but were. 
But saying that, they're aware of the danger of guns. Because as soon as they walk out the door, they both like look at each other and then drop them into a bucket or like a mop (laughs) bucket nearby. At this point, we Harpo uh, goes to some sort of pond, weird pond thing on the ship. Apparently, they have this like little uh, terrarium on the boat. (laughs) And Harpo chases away the children. And then he uh, lures a frog out of the pond into his hat. By, By making frog sounds, doesn't he? No. Oh, oh no. The he... frog is making the frog sounds. Oh, just... I thought that he was making. He just frog makes. Sounds. He just whistles. And oh, right, right. Yeah, That's what it was. Uh, I, I, my thing skipped over a little bit of that, but I saw the frog later on. Is that a trained frog? Because that was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's the pretty frog impressive. Would jump it must into be. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, how long do do frogs live? Is that the same frog? <laughs> <laughs> I think they live a while. Okay. I don't know what they. I don't From think the start it's... of the movie to the end of the movie. Dear, well, I, don't, I mean, you don't actually think that he was under Harpo's hat through the rest of the movie. No, I know that. I'm okay. just saying, did they record those two scenes in the same day? Oh, probably. Okay, yeah. All right. Who would have done that? Also, um, it's about, yeah, you got a trained frog, you got to use that yeah. same trained because well, there's a handler there to, to get the frog to do the tricks and stuff. This is a ridiculous conversation. No, it's I not ridiculous at all. food in the hat. What kind, what, of, food what kind of food do you use to lure a frog? Okay, some frog, flies frog in the hat? Food. Chicken? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you. Oh, they smell. There's something. A female frog. A female frog. That is a possibility. Yeah. There's something that gets that frog to jump in the hat. Oh yeah, that's a hot floor. Oh no! <laughs> someone had a match. Someone had a match. To be fair, that is how torch. they got Groucho to dance as well. Everyone says that. Um. Okay. So then uh, Harpo stops to watch a chess game. Yeah. And what I like about this scene. Is how quiet it is. Mm-hmm. It's weird in a movie where it's so antic and they have no problem, but they have suddenly have no problem with this stopping the movie so that Harpo can watch in silence two gentlemen ponder over a chess game. Yeah. I mean, he's very interesting. His face is great. So you just, you have no problem watching him do that. And then Chico kind of walking in from the side, eating is also really good. And basically they take over the game. Yeah. Offend the men, the gentlemen. They, they steal the chessboard and then. Yeah, by the way, they run off the chessboard. I don't know if the chess pieces are stuck to the board. It's pretty good. Mm. Uh, you know, yeah. I was like, oh, these pieces are going to go flying. No, they're, all, they're, all, they're all good. Um, they, uh, Small thing, but... So at this point, we're now introduced to Joe Helton, okay. who uh, is, once again, your cliched gangster character. Uh, we learn, apparently, once again, these movies are unable to give us exposition except in the form of a newspaper <laughs> telling us information. Yeah. Uh, I we... wonder how difficult it would have been in this time to be a child or someone who couldn't read watching these movies. Yeah. Because you're like, what's going on here? I don't understand. Though, to be fair, yeah. who cares? Yeah. You know? <laughs> really? It's just like, it's not so- oh. But, I mean, there would have been other movies that would have been giving information in the same way. True. Through, like, a bunch of newspaper stuff. But a Marx stuff. Brothers movie where the plot... Eh. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree yeah. with you there. But, once again, I mean, Mary could have come in and he could have said to her... You know, I'm so glad that I'm getting out of this business and we can finally be respectable people and and da da da. It doesn't, you know, that easily could have been said without having to resort to a newspaper. How are they getting newspapers on a boat? No, no, that was a thing. (laughs) That was a thing. What? Oh, yeah. Yeah. How? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just joking. It was not a thing. (laughs) They were delivered by dolphins. Trained dolphins. Trained dolphins. They had like a little speedboat. It was just like they, were, they had a plane. A plane would fly yeah. over and drop the, the daily newspaper uh-huh. every day. A plane yeah. would fly yes. hundreds of miles to no, drop the newspaper. Sense. That's how valuable newspapers were in those days. How would people <laughs> know it was happening otherwise, dear? Um, actually, 
interesting fact fax machines were originally invented as an easier way to, to get people the newspaper every day that's true can you imagine waking up every day to the sound of an entire newspaper being faxed into your house <laughs> it sounds awful well what you, you had a special fax being, room though being a young person so. you don't remember the start of the internet where when you had to log on to the internet I, you got the I, so we were, and then you hoped no one would pick up the phone. I do, I do would, remember that. You'd actually, have to start again. Because I, yeah. my grandmother had internet long before we did at our house. No. Yes. No, I had internet in 94. Yeah, but no. We didn't have a computer, though. That was a problem. That's the thing. We didn't have a computer. <laughs> you just had internet, but no computer. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't have internet at that time. We had to wait a few years to get a computer. Yeah. So well, we, I had, would... we had expenses in our life. We had small children. We couldn't afford luxuries like computers and things like but that. But yeah. then they grew up, and they're co-hosting podcasts with yeah, you, so exactly. it all worked out. Well, we'll Back to the movie! <laughs> the <laughs> internet exists now. Enough of your complaints, And that Mary. was internet chat. Let's go back to the great, the grateful Stop daughter Mary, the not the ungrateful moves. daughter Mary. <laughs> yeah. um, grateful daughters do not exist. That's a myth. <laughs> but they are a good band from the 1980s. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so we meet Joe Helton, millionaire, ex-racketeer, and his daughter Mary. And then Elkie Briggs shows up to have a friendly talk with Helton. Mm-hmm. But Helton will not give okay, the okay to... I don't really understand this part of Who the cares? plot, but... Who cares? <laughs> giving the okay to Briggs gang, taking over his former territory. Right. So during this conversation, Chico and Harpo enter with the chessboard and continue to play their game on the, the bed. This, this, to me, <laughs> is what I would like to see for almost any of these plots. Yeah. It's just like, I like to see two people doing a movie that don't know the Marx Brothers are in the background, yeah, yeah. doing some other business. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. Yeah. Because that was, that was just it. It was just like, they don't see them. Yeah, They're just yeah. doing some stuff. It's They're fantastic. Totally intent you guys act the heck out of this scene, and you guys do your business. Very funny. Um, and no one's going to pay attention to those poor gangsters. No. Yeah. be like, look at those guys. Yeah. <laughs> those jokesters. So uh, Briggs gets more heated, because uh, Helton will not go along with him. Oh, by the way, uh, Helton was played played by a guy whose name was Rockcliffe Fellows, which I think is yeah. a great name. Did not do very much in his career, but he was uh, an, he was from Ottawa. He should have sold his name to another actor. <laughs> Rock the I think he was more of a, a more of a theater guy, so he did more theater work than. Doesn't he did. sound like a theater name. Sounds like a movie name. Rockcliffe Fellows. Sounds like one of those like hyper masculine names, mm. like Rock Hudson. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. they're yeah. like. Makes you suspicious. Yeah, Rock Hudson could have. This like, guy's used the this Rock guy's like a fellows. little bit gay. They need like a super super macho name. <laughs> Rock. Rockcliffe. Uh, he so yeah so as I was saying, Briggs gets heated and somehow. Harpo scares them with with his uh, with his horn that he thinks is a rifle. Yeah, and so then, uh, but you can sort of see. Well, I guess if you live in a world where everything's custard, you see custard everywhere. <laughs> like he sees it and he thinks it's a gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then Helton, apparently no better uh, judge of character than Briggs, hires probably hires Chico and and or Chico and Harpo as his uh, bodyguards. It is weird seeing them with guns. That does feel weird seeing yeah. them with guns. Yeah. It's just like, oh, no, that's really dangerous. <laughs> so, yeah, he gives them guns. And then he decides he, now he can take a stroll on the deck. Yeah. Because he's safe. And they promptly lose him. And we get a good little scene of them following different people until they get to the guy with the beard. Who they try and pull off his beard thinking he's helping. Yeah. He does a good yelp. Yes, he does. And then Grocho and Zeppo, who are apparently guns... In this world, are, are are just nothing. They can be handed out like like business cards, just willy nilly. And I love that he gives it to them. And then they they both point the gun at, at him, and he he <laughs> turns their guns away. And then Zeppo keeps turning uh, Grocho's gun away from from him. That's a good little bit. And then um, 
now they have been given new guns, so they start trailing Helton. Have we missed the part where um, where uh, Chico gets punched in the face by Harpo? Oh yes, we didn't do that part. We, I Those were two him. great punches to the face. Oh yes, that was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, that's a good good guess. Great jump back, land mm. flat mm. on the back, yeah. smack to the puss. Yeah, there's there are two great punches in this movie. One terrible punch. We'll get to the terrible punch later on. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of foreshadowing yes. in this podcast, huh? Yes, yes, we like to. Just to keep people listening. They're yes. like, oh, well, I, I was going to stop listening to this show because yeah. it's boring When and they start dumb. talking about the internet <laughs> and how it used to be loud, that's what I tuned in for. <laughs> and right. you know what? It was slower back then. Get a picture of Terry Hatcher. It would take at least three minutes. I'll tell you. The old days, huh? Terry anyway. Hatcher. Um, she was the most popular thing online. Oh, is that right? <laughs> It was. The most popular image was Terry Hatcher I... in a Superman cape. I know I I have things to say, but it's not 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 germane to our conversation, so I'll move on. Okay, I'll move on to the fact that I had a Mac SE thirty, which had no real visual ability for the internet. So all <laughs> I was interested in was looking at movie scripts. Well, I well I'm barely <laughs> printing off four hundred pages of Pulp Fiction, but I am really happy you didn't script. tell us that because that would have yeah. that would have been a waste of time. What a waste! Of and time. also would have shown how boring a person you are. Continue. <laughs> also, he did a lot of all the right type. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> I did. That's how I learned to type. Um, so where were we now? Oh, your you daughter guys have was making fun me? of you on yeah, your podcast. That's right. Let's just continue. <laughs> on. I mean, that's why you guys brought me on here, right? This anyway. So then, uh, I think uh, you're the Margaret Demont in this situation. So they, they were. <laughs> why I never? You've been demonted. What kind of? A... <laughs> that's a lot of. Why I that? never? Well, you should well, try it once in a while. So. They run into Briggs and Lucille are once again having a big fight. Right. Groucho gives Briggs his gun, saying he'll need it more than him. <laughs> uh, Groucho meets up with Helton and offers him his services as both attacker and bodyguard. Yes, that was a good bit. Which I like that thing. Uh, that's 50% waste. I'll save you. That's 100% waste. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Nothing like a burn. After I attack you, give me a call. I'll come by in a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so that's good. So then we cut to Harpo losing his pet frog. Yep. Uh, the, leading to the gag involving the man with a frog in his throat. That is, <laughs> but uh, can I just say Harpo losing his frog is a lot more devastating than um, the supposedly devastating events later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to one of the brothers losing something important. Oh, well, I like. Thank you for this foreshadowing. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Like what? A, yeah, interesting. Yeah, the foreshadowing Marx Brothers. That's mm-hmm. what this uh, right. podcast episode is called. So we get that that gag, and then it cuts to the cuts to the New York skyline. So that we know the ship is coming in to, to show her now. Uh, we have the opera diva being interviewed by the press, who is then interviewed, insulted by Groucho. <laughs> Bit of a Margaret Dumont stand-in, yes. I guess. That did feel very Dumonty. Was this where you thought Dumont should have no. been? Okay. No. Then we discovered that Harpo has taken the place of someone's camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great... <laughs> it is a great gag. When he goes to take the picture and it's the honk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then he pulls, takes off the, the sheet from the camera and it reveals Harpo with the... With the lens. So where did the camera go? We he don't ate, need to know. He Thanks. ate it, obviously. Yeah, guess, yeah. Come the same on, Dad. The puppeteer went. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so didn't you know that Harpo is actually no face? Yeah. Spirited away. Then we get just oh, consumes boy. things indiscriminately. Oh, wow. oh Jeez. deep, deep, deep cuts. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't think that's a deep cut, but I, anyway. Deep, anyway, I think it is for a, Mark's for their listening. Okay. Yeah. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Then we get cut to Zeppo. 
with a romantic moment with Mary. Okay, not with that another, much. But another good little this, gag, though. The second time that we see Zeppo in the movie. No, no, he was with, he was with <laughs> Groucho as a bodyguard. He was doing a little stunt, but yeah, you, yeah, you want yeah. Zeppo to have a little stuff. Yeah, yeah, good on him. And then he promises that he will never never leave uh, Mary Helton, and then he promptly runs off because <laughs> he's getting chased by the, by the crew. No, they try to leave. <laughs> They're like, what do you think you're doing? Groucho says, we're trying to sneak off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> the, the four stowaways try to disembark. I discovered they need their passports. Once again, that's a great thing where he goes, let me handle this, fellows. And he does the worst job in the world. <laughs> I can't remember what exactly he said now. But uh, just does a terrible job. Does a know. lot of insulting people, <laughs> then, obviously. Yeah, it doesn't work. Now, on a small technical level, yeah. you should just jump off the boat. Is that a possibility? <laughs> Oh, it's pretty high. Those boats are pretty tall. They are, yeah. And also, I feel like that water is probably pretty disgusting. And where are you going to jump? Like, on the other side and then have to swim around? All right. Like, I don't know if rivers... Rivers aren't really safe places to swim in the best of times anyway because of undertoes and all kinds of weird, yeah, weird currents. Yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. Like, I just feel like that's... You know, in a movie that makes no sense, it's okay. Yeah. But I think in reality, and I think it's more fun, your idea is practical but boring. Whereas their their solution is entertaining mm-hmm. and impractical, because their solution is that Zeppo runs into Mar- Maurice Chevalier. Well, before that, they tried really badly pickpocketing a bunch of people. Oh, that's right. I know they've uh, lost their pickpocketing skills yeah, since uh, yeah, the yeah. coconuts. But they were uh, pretty good. At that's it. right. That's right. And then, uh, but luckily, Zeppo has run into uh, Maurice Chevalier and is a good pickpocket because he stole his passport. And if this was a modern movie, you would have to see Maurice Chevalier mm. go. Like the gag would be. They all go through, yeah. do their Maurice Chevalier thing, yeah. and then finally Maurice Chevalier goes through, and it's like, who are you? Maurice Chevalier. And they just start beating the holy hell out of him, because <laughs> we've had enough of this. Yeah, yeah. like, no, Maurice Chevalier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why? No. Why is this happening to Maurice Chevalier? Yeah, we don't need Maurice Chevalier. We don't even need to see him. We just accept the fact that they well, met we, him. Well, we do see a picture of him in the passport after three other people have tried to, yeah. after three of the brothers have tried to pretend to be him. And then you're like, oh, that's what he looks like. Modern, oh, for the Chevalier. modern viewer who yeah. does not know what Maurice Chevalier looks like. So now we get the, the fun of, of each of the stowaways attempting to leave the ship by posing as Maurice Chevalier and singing, You brought a new kind of love to me. And what's great about that is, is well, one, is them constantly sneaking along the line in the most obvious way. Mm-hmm. I love I love <laughs> when, when Harpo goes over the table and starts riding on, on Groucho's back as he's falling <laughs> under the table. I love all the noise of people being all... all upset and stuff like that but no one actually does anything they're all just kind of like hey <laughs> what's going on what's going on what is this what's going on and then they cut into line and then uh they imitate get sent to the back of the line the f- interesting thing is that the the uh customs officer does not return the passport to chico so how the other ones get it i don't know because that's an interesting little mm. bit of cut hmm. there and then we get uh, harpo, com- harpo, doing harpo coming up and it's throwing the papers on the <laughs> customs every stamping which way stamping yeah. stuff and just just <laughs> absolute crazy this why you even like then deal with him after that? Like, would you just arrest him? Like, trend him off to the wherever? Like, the brig. No, no, you're just like, who are you, Maurice Chevalier? You know, it's just like, and yeah. then the the gramophone gag is fantastic. Does he fall for it for a brief period of time, or does he ever fall for it? I think he falls. Like he for, almost falls. For I think it. he falls with Harpo. I think he's falling yeah, for I it. Yeah, I think he does because it's kind of like I guess maybe a celebrity would be in this weird clown, this yeah. weird hobo though, clown costume. Yeah. So it's like you know, hard times for everyone now. Yeah. Did he hear the music playing for the other fellas? <laughs> yeah. Or you know, like, <laughs> and so 
And then they have a clever, like, later marks for their movies would make the mistake of just cutting from the scene to them being on shore. But this movie actually finds a solution, which is that a passenger faints. Grocho both poses as not a doctor, then as a doctor. Mm-hmm. We get, well, we get Grocho and Chico being doctors, but they, they're examining the wrong person. I think the opera diva. Yeah. Yes. Don't, they, don't they assault yeah, her? Yeah, are you a doctor? Yeah, show me the horse. Yeah. <laughs> and then Grocho, yeah, Grocho then poses Just the doctor. Just my luck, it's not a woman. Yeah. And he seems to plan it because he gets the crowd to circle the, the, the fainted person. He's like, everyone, everyone, everyone move in so he doesn't get better. <laughs> 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 and then we see the stretcher being taken off the ship, put, put, on the, uh, put down on the dock down below, and then all four stowaways get off. Much to Gibson's dismay also, and disgust. Also, I'm pretty sure that when they all sit up, someone screams. When they all sit up, someone screams? I think so. Someone in the background, like some woman. <laughs> that's nice. I like, well, that's, I feel, that feels like then that relates to the to the crowd, the mysterious crowd uh, applauding the saxophone concerto. Mm. Um, <laughs> Why do you see that crowd as mysterious? Because they're not there. But you see there's a bunch of people in the room. There's there's a few people in the room, but I don't, I don't think like that part of the ship is like has a huge crowd of people that would be applauding. Okay, but a, why is there a band there then? Well, they're just entertaining, but I don't think I think their band is sort of like like some, you pass you by. pass by and okay. there'd be a band playing. It's not yeah. it's not a a, a concert par- part of the it's just a they would just be like like a like a bar, like having a person playing a piano in a, okay, in a bar, yeah. like right? Like you don't you know, people don't come into the bar and sit by the score to listen to a guy play a piano on a bar. Mm-hmm. He's just there entertaining. As yeah. Part of the... This is unless background you're the piano music. Band, which case yes. yes. Or that. unless that bar also has three saxophones and then everyone's right <laughs> yeah. there. Hey guys, right? Did you hear this cruise is three saxophones. <laughs> we, can, we can't afford that. We can only afford a two saxophone That's cruise. Right. You know what? I came into some money. We're going to the three saxophone That's right. This, cruise. this cruise liner is rated triple sax. <laughs> uh, so, so then uh, we now cut. Once again, because it's impossible to convey information in any other way in these movies, right. we, we catch a newspaper telling us that there is a party at Gangster Joe Helsinki. Have we missed um, uh, Sam Marx's cameo? Oh, I guess. Uh, yes. Yes, it's on the dock. Yeah, he's on the dock. That's right. So yes, their dad's on the dock. Okay. Fr- Frenchie is on the dock. Uh, and apparently he would fly into a rage if, anyone stu- if his brothers did anything while he was supposed to be being filmed. He would just fly into a jealous rage that they would be doing something that would draw attention from him. Hmm. Great. <laughs> Do you mean his sons, the, sons. Yes. the brothers? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. It's, it's odd. Yeah. Strange, strange parenting, but yeah. okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Let's well, see if that happens with you on this show. But mm-hmm. I think I think it will. Shut up, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking. This is Papa time. <laughs> uh, I'm a gangster. <laughs> see, I don't let oh. my kids talk. <laughs> Also, this this party was specifically um, so that Joe could introduce his yes, daughter. Mary, this is a debutante, which this I is thought, a debut. Yes, yes, I thought it was. I thought it was very nice. And I asked Dad why he didn't throw mm-hmm. one of those for me and my younger sister. What you didn't. My... You didn't introduce us. Yeah. Well, surprise! That's what this is. Yes. Oh my goodness! <laughs> well, your debut. She's coming out. <laughs> the word. We thought the best way to do it was. In the latter part of a Marx Brothers podcast. <laughs> that's what our religion says, and All that's what our religion demands. Yes. All the, the best suitors that you can imagine. Yes, we'll come from this. <laughs> Marx Brothers. Yeah, listening. just check the comments section afterwards and pick a winner. <laughs> yes, please reply with your age and location. That would be great. Thank you. Please dress as a Marx Brother. <laughs> For your picture, for your, the picture you sent. In brackets, no gummos. 
so they're gonna have this party at uh, Joe Helton's mansion, and I think this is probably a continuation of like the Long Island high society parody sure, sure. that we saw in Animal Crackers. Yeah, get the stiffs. But I actually think this is where the movie starts to fall apart, and the reason I think that is because in the party, people aren't reacting with shock to what the 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 like that Joe Helton is like laughing like ha 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 like when when Groucho does his like weird like like. Well, sheriff, uh, you know, when he does that. Oh, I love the cowboy. It's great. It's great. But it's got the the wrong reaction. Yeah, he's buying it. Helton laughs at it. Yeah. And that's wrong. And so this is where Margaret Dumont should be. Okay. Margaret Dumont Mm. should be in this part of the movie because we need a a high society matron to act as as the foil for the Marx's carryings-ons. Yeah, because like even when Harpo is like... Uh, in that lady's bustle following her around. Mm-hmm. Like Which is a great s- bit as well. It yeah. is, yeah. But like she doesn't really... Doesn't give it enough a reaction no, to No, she doesn't like she doesn't really notice at all. Mm-hmm. So it's like what's... Like yeah. it's funny really, but yeah. like so much of what makes the Marx Brothers funny is how other people react to them, right? Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. like if everyone else is okay with it, then there's not really a lot of humor there because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, I guess yeah. that's just normal in their universe, yeah, right? Yeah, you need to have yeah. that that um, that distinction. Yeah, yeah, things are so eccentric in rich people land. Yeah, and so I feel like because I do, there's a lot of good bits in this part of the movie, and, as, and I've always had sort of a negative feeling about the end of monkey monkey business, and it could be because you've had an hour and a bit of of Marx Brothers carry on, and you start to get a little bit of fatigue from it, and you you, you know you're not it's not as funny after a while because you're like. Okay, get it. This happens and this, this is the reaction. But I actually, when I was watching, I was thinking, no, no, what's happening here is that people are accepting the behavior as normal. And so it's, it doesn't work for the audience then because we need people's outrage and their, their reactions of, well, what's going on? Why are you acting? You know. But what's the, okay, I think, I think the problem for me is what's the movie about? And the movie is about four stowaways that shouldn't be there on a boat. Yeah. That's it. And now they're off the boat. Yeah, yeah. Now well, that's happening? another problem, too. And now exactly. we've crashed a, a rich people's thing. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. but you're, fu- like, what's the, who well, cares? I think it could still work. The Marxes arrive at the party in various ways. So uh, Chico and Harpo come on the side of the car, <laughs> run, on the running board of a car, which seems very dangerous. Yep. It's okay coming up at that speed, but what if what about driving down the road? It's crazy. And, uh, like, where were they holding on? The sides of cars are pretty flat. Yeah. Right? Like, I don't know what their handles were. It was a different time. People what, had stickier hands. What's weird is, <laughs> is that they were they were Helton's bodyguards. They are refused entry to the house. Yeah. Grocho and Zeppo, who were working for working with Elkie Briggs, they're fine. <laughs> they're they're running around and no one's saying anything to them. I know, and I feel like one thing that should come up in this movie is that Zeppo was both working for Alki Briggs and courting Mary. Yeah. And this is like her introduction to the world. And there should be something of like, you're not good enough for her because you're a stowaway or you shouldn't yeah. be here because you're working for the enemy. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. I don't even think there's a single scene where Helton and Zeppo have a conversation. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to bet that that was in the original whatever and then they ditched it in, in favor of gags. Yeah. I'm pro- like, this is, this is valuable case. gag time or, yeah, we, could, I guess or so. we could throw in plots. Yeah. Cause they but I don't know. I'm making an assumption there. Sure, sure. It, it they, just feels like that would be... In some ways, a more interesting conflict than what they end up with. It makes you with. dislike the uh, bad guys more, so that when they get comeuppance, it makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, more, yeah. more to hit against. Totally, yeah. Um, Though it's almost almost always in these Marx Brothers movies. Ah, they're stealing a painting. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. They're bad. Well, we're gonna pull a scam with the, that. Ah, well, I guess you're the bad guys then, but yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, fine, totally. Cares? We're just gonna. The whole thing is do some jokes. I kind of wonder if the party is was necessary to the to them to the people making the movie because that was the best way to show have the the instrumental showcases so it didn't make sense for them to have them play play that on the 
boat have like a piano sequence in the boat or oh, a harp sequence in the yeah. boat. He already played the piano on the boat like once. But I mean, not. No, he didn't play the piano on the boat. Yeah, he played yes, it with the did. three saxophones. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah this is a little he bit. He didn't yeah. have like a showcase. Didn't have a showcase. And I mean, the part, thing about yeah. the boat too is that like the kind of the whole thing about the boat is that there's not really any time where they're like able to be still in public for long enough to do something like that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. True. And but I mean, you could fit that in. Oh, for sure. Right? It almost it's feels not like, like it's impossible. Yeah, it almost feels like this is a new movie starting now. Yeah. You could totally. almost start the movie with their. You know, here I'm this guy, and here are my bodyguards. Yeah. And you show these two. It's like, oh, yeah. I get it. And then here's my bodyguards. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's yeah. what we got. Well, I think, it's, you know, if we if if we take from the fact that Cheekman was trying to push more of a plot to the film, and Mankiewicz was taking out plot in 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 favor of gags, then you know there were there were like probably more more exposition that was was jettisoned that would have made sense of stuff but in the end as you as you have said it doesn't matter we don't really care about right. that stuff we just want the humor yeah the yeah. movie could have ended and, with them leaving the boat and really oh, yeah. and hits, totally. hits the end yeah roll credits yeah well, like but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have i mean we still had the romance and stuff like that i think but you I still mean, need to you, like some you know have some sort of continuation of those and i don't hate but i mean the, the thing is you don't have to have that mm -hmm. if it had been written in such a way that that was all like wrapped up before sure, right sure. or if it was somehow like wrapped into them getting off the boat yeah right yeah, yeah. um you gotta let him off i love him yeah what? totally he's gonna be my husband oh well geez man then we're gonna let him off the boat yeah like i'm a millionaire yeah, so right. I, I'm yeah. a fancy millionaire oh well, yeah I like there's so many ways i don't that know could it, do it. we'd miss the chevalier scene like we need all that stuff but um well, you, and well you have zeppel come last but okay fair enough Okay, but I think, uh, I don't, like I say, I don't hate the party sequence. I think there's some good stuff in there and some fun stuff in oh, there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just think that the tone of the film changed that point. Uh, absolutely. It's a and different I think movie, that, it feels like. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and it's not just the tone. It's just that they lost sight the of momentum. what makes the Marx Brothers funny, which is the, the need foils. And that's why M Margaret Dumont, or even the opera diva from the boat, if she reappeared in the sequence and became the kind of Margaret Dumont stand-in for this movie and did, you know, and played the, well, I never stuff, you know, or even, like, why do they have her as an opera diva on the boat and they introduce a completely different opera diva at the party? Like, yeah. that doesn't make any sense either because yeah, you need weird. economy of character for a film. And so that it, character yeah, should reappear there. It, it really does feel like a totally different movie. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, have her react to Harpo, like, because, you know, Harpo is goofing around during her thing and the opera singer it doesn't seem like all that f you know i mean you, you don't even yeah. you don't even see her really yeah react to most anything. of it right yeah. like yeah. it's just on mm -hmm. harpo you can't see her singing yeah, it'd be at better all. if she got upset and stormed away and so then he just did a solo yeah you know or something like that like that would have been more fun but mm. instead we get this weird we get this weird uh kind of disconnected element to the party that just makes it this kind of brings the the scene yeah. down it definitely feels like like a testament to compromise mm -hmm. right i mean They're like i mean yeah, yeah okay this guy is like you know he's grocho's guy so i guess you know yeah. we should throw through this have some of this plot stuff in it. and i guess yeah. we do we did have the we did introduce these gangsters yeah. so yeah and it started with such a clear stakes which is your your you know your stowaways they're trying to catch it yeah. got it yeah yeah and now it's you're both bodyguards also you're bodyguards but you're not really worried about being bodyguards they think you're tough guys but you're not tough guys but you seem to be tough guys you don't care if a guy shoots you but you're not in any danger i mean you're running when he's running from the ship captain or whoever yeah he's really running from because yeah. i want to get caught yeah but it's like you can shoot me if you want now we're into this mobster world you know you're being chased by the mobster who cares who don'ts uh who don'ts who cares <laughs> Dozy, dozy dotes. I, you know, I don't, I don't hate 
I don't, I don't hate the, I really, I honestly don't hate the gangster plot. I don't hate the party sequence. And I don't hate the burn sequence. I enjoy them. I just feel like the movie lets itself down by not understanding what, what was making it great before. And let's just kind of sum up the end of the film. So I, sorry, I personally really dislike the barn sequence. Okay. I guess for reasons that we can get into when we get there. Sure. Let's Are get there? there. Let's get there now. Okay. So Mary can is kidnapped I... from the party. Let's just, well, let, actually, let's go back a little bit and let's just say, <laughs> let's just say how great Chico is. Great Chico is, but how great, uh, the, I, once again, really enjoy the Groucho, uh, Thelma Todd. Yes. As Lucille, stuff yeah. on the, on the porch. I like when the, the couple come out who are, who are, you know, uh, the two adulterers come yeah. out on the and you know get this you know get caught by them. Uh, I love Groucho's playing it pretending to be a cat. Yes, it's so weird. <laughs> and it's like, why does that bring her over? <laughs> Who's gonna be like, oh, is that for me? Is that someone talking to me? Yeah. It's like, a he's man, really it's an adult man pretending to be a cat. He's yeah, literally tomcatting. The, yeah, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> I guess. I think here's the structural problem. Okay. It's like, okay, so here's your movie and here's how we're doing it. Yeah. Uh, big amazing boat. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What's what's the next thing? Uh, glamorous party. Yeah. Oh, well, all right. That sounds pretty good. I guess that's a bit of an app. What's the next thing? Barn. <laughs> the end. <laughs> okay. So, I also, did, did yeah. you totally okay. run so out let's, of money? <laughs> let's just say, so So Mary is kidnapped by Elkie Briggs, who's still trying to get get some sort of leverage over Joe Helton. So that For he some can, reason. That so is. he can get Joe Helton's okay so that his gang can operate in Joe Helton's old, old territory, we assume. So, Grocho, who's somehow in with, with Elkie, even though he's a free and free to wander around Joe Helton's party guest, uh, knows that, that uh, Mary's been taken to the old barn. He and she... He and Chico, before anyone else, take a taxi cab over to, sure. <laughs> to the barn. To have a picnic. So they can then rip off the cab driver. Yeah. And not pay him. <laughs> yeah, it's a dollar ten. They're okay, a, here's a dollar. Keep the change. It's a dr- I said a dollar ten, then I'll keep the dollar. That's right. It's a drive and dash. And then <laughs> they go into the barn. Where then then they do nothing. They just set up a shop in a in a on a haystack. Well, well, not just they don't do nothing. Is they acknowledge that there's a dangerous person that's above them. Yeah. Who's dropping things on oh, them? Oh, that's right. Trying to kill them. Yeah. And like, hey, there's a guy trying to kill us. So like, well, <laughs> you don't care about anything now. I'm like, yeah. okay, and that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You can be that kind of cocky, immortal sure. person that nothing can hurt. I sure. suppose. Yeah. But it's just very different from like where we started. Yeah. With what your characters are. You yeah. got to have some sort of motivation. Mm. And then when like Chico's going, uh, you go. Uh, you know, you want Groucho to go like, no, you go. Yeah. But it's like, no, you go. All right. Like, well, Groucho, like, what's Groucho's deal? Like, he's he's going to, the guy's going to kill him. Yeah. But yeah. he's got no problem with that. But you were scared of the guy chasing you on the boat. And also, like, <laughs> technically, you're working for Alki still, aren't you? Like, did I, have I missed the loyalties? <laughs> like, they've, I feel like they've shifted so many times. Yeah. And, like, how come um, Groucho and Chico are here together when they're supposed to be working for different people? Mm. And also, oh, Groucho told everyone at the party that they were at the, that she was at the barn. So how come <laughs> no one else is here? How did they get there when they're the people who don't care about what's going on at all? Yeah. Like, they could have so easily gone in the other direction yeah. and okay. just not gone. Here's my excuse for how, uh, how that worked. It was like, oh, she's she's there. Oh, okay, let's call a cab. I want to go to that barn. 
Oh, no, no, no. We're not sending any more people to that barn because they got ripped off. No. No one's going to the barn tonight. It's the only cab company in town. Yeah. And everyone's, everyone, no one can drive because everyone's been drinking. Well, they're also all rich, so they don't know how to drive. Oh, that's yeah. true. That's a good point. And Harpo gets there early because he was already on a bicycle chasing after a woman with a carnation on a fishing rod. <laughs> that's true. So he is well well able to get there quickly. So he gets there. Oh, he shows can up. I, can He's I quickly say um, why I dislike this scene so much? Or can okay, we do that sure. later? Yeah. Yeah, um, I think that why I dislike the barn scene so much is because you have like how like it's a, it's an hour, I guess, on the boat. Right. Yeah, sure. So you're on this boat for like an hour. It's like a bottle episode. Yeah. Right. Like they're just on yeah. this. They're in this one spot. And there are like different scenes. Right. They're in like the little like kid um, room with the the puppets, puppets yeah. and they're in the, the salon and mm-hmm. they're in like the Three captain's quarters. But like they're always in the boat. Yeah. And then they go from there to this party in the last, like, half hour. And you're like, okay, like, sure. Sure. But, and then for, like, five minutes, they introduce this other location yeah. that feels, like, very unnecessary. And it's like, why? I just don't feel... Barn. Barn. Yeah, barn. And also, like, you don't need to introduce a whole other location at this point in the film. They must have a whole bunch know? of great barn jokes that are they're coming up. They're just loaded for barn. Yes, bits. yes. What it felt like was... Back then, all uh, uh, and around that period, even to the 50s, there's so many movies you'll see clips of where there's amazing dance numbers in a barn. And I guess like people related to what barns were like, and yeah. so you know, because everyone kids. lived in a barn because yeah, it was the like Great a, Depression. There's a Rust Hamblin. Wasn't just that? It was just that yeah. the majority of people worked or and or lived a rural life at that sure. time. Sure. So was, you got like a, there was less people living in cities and working working city jobs, and there were people living in the country. Absolutely. Like that, like so you got like there's a great Rust Hamblin dance number in a barn. There's so many dance numbers in well, barns. That's from the 50s, but it's, okay. Yeah, that's what well, I was saying from like the 30s okay. to the 50s. Okay. Uh, you would always have a barn scene. Sure. So I don't know if they just had a barn set that they want to use over and over again. But you're almost <laughs> thinking like then, okay, if you're going to do that, then your whole thing before was uh, so rich people, but now we're in a barn. Okay, now there's going to be a, they don't, won't understand how any of this works. Yeah. No, that's not it. Okay, well, they're gangsters. So here's the thing. Gangsters, uh, they're all the city tough gangsters, but they don't understand cows and this. because So the simple uh, good chicos and harpos will be, no, it's nothing to do with that. What is it? It's nothing. Yeah. It's just nothing. We got no like, barn jokes. There's but- no time for them to ha- really have the barn be like any sort of actual like logical location for them to be in. No, there's one right? needle in a haystack joke. There's one joke about you know go get some milk. I can't. There's already a customer. <laughs> that and, was a good one. It's a good. It's a. <laughs> it's a fine joke. Yeah. But it's one yeah. of the only two jokes. And you're in a barn. Why? Why are we doing this? Besides, to, to def- you fall into the hay. To defend defend the uh, barn sequence. I I do Please love do. I do love uh, Groucho's commentary for, during the fight. I love him mm, sitting there. Yeah. Well, fans and stuff, and then I like that he keeps moving, changing location because that's one of the things I love about. One thing I love in Mark Brother films is when they just randomly keep changing things for no yeah. no reason and there's no explanation for it. It's it like very that is tunes, yeah. good for sure. Yeah, they but also the they barn. could have done that anywhere. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that, yeah. No, that I agree. Could be I'm not defending yeah. the barn. I'm just they, saying I like that part. Well, let's just say you started that sentence with to defend the barn sequence. So well, you are to def- defending the barn. I should say just to defend. Okay, to defend the end of the film. I do think that I do think that is a good part of it. I there mean, are some okay jokes. Yes, yeah. Oh, but yeah. There's just no reason for them to be in a barn. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I, I just felt like I don't hate it, but it felt yeah. like the the like massive location change at the end was just so weird for such a short period of time. Yeah. It just really yeah. threw me off. I think. So where where should it have been? Like should it should they have gone to Elky Briggs Mansion? So we have like mansion to mansion action, or should it have, or should it have would been a, a would a rich person's house have a like even if okay. 
You know, I'm trying to th- so like they take her to the basement of their own of the guy's house and hold her there. No or? one's gonna look there. Uh, <laughs> why not? But yeah. it doesn't. But here's the thing: like, it needs to be a a, a remote location you know because be... we need. They needed the excuse of only the Marx Brothers getting there at first, so that Zeppo could have his fist fight. You know, it would be and good. Th- there could be some gags. As if they went back to the boat. <laughs> Well, I don't know why they didn't. Boats I, I can't see any reason aside from the passport situation, which is a fun bit, you know. Uh, I don't see any reason to leave the boat because you're going to have a fancy ball. You can have that on the boat. Yeah. These are fancy people. It's yeah. on the boat. And, and, like, then, and then you go down to steerage and you can have some animals down there if you oh, want. Yeah. You can totally. do all this. Yeah, kind of you business. mean like the cargo hold or yeah, something, the cargo right? Yeah. And you so you, you guys wanting to sacrifice the custom scene? I just can't. No, can't, I don't. I can't I, be on side. I don't think that you need to sacrifice that scene, though. I feel like if they had just like set it up differently, like you could have that sequence and have them okay. all get off the How boat. How about as this? The, end, With the custom but... scene, they try to get off yeah. because they're bodyguards and they don't want to be part of this. Mm-hmm. They try to get off, do the Morris uh, Chevalier bit. No, you can't get off. Uh well, it looks like we're stuck here, boys. So yeah. we got to figure something else out. And then, and now, and now they uh, they've still got, there. You guys are. You're my bodyguards. Let's get going. All right, we're bodyguards. And so they, you know, you do you do your fancy pants scene. You do whatever you're seeing in steerage. How, it all still works. How about this? How about this? Time machine. Still, still have the same party sequence. We have Margaret Dumont in sequence. Okay. Yes. She is Joe Helton's wife. She is Mary's mother. Yep. Both she and Mary get kidnapped mm-hmm. and are in the barn. Yeah, that's better. That would work better, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you get, then you need, because you get the. He never gets around to rescuing her. Well, She's just like, <laughs> that'd be good. But then you get that, then you get the the that contradiction, right, between yeah. her being this high society woman, the the contrast, I should say, the contrast between her being a high society woman, being in a barn. Because yes. you don't really get that with Mary. You don't get that sense of that no. she's too classy for this joint kind of feeling, right? Um, whereas with Margaret Dumont's character, to have her in a barn objecting to being kidnapped and stuff like that. That would have been better, I think. Yeah, and then you mm-hmm. have the cow moo and he goes to Margaret Dumont, was that you? Hey, you just have a good time. Yeah, yeah. That would have been a better ending than the... Okay, so the, here's my... Here's the gosh worst, darn here's needle the in a punch. haystack. Here's the <laughs> worst punch in the movie and maybe the worst punch I've seen in film. Yeah. When Zeppo comes in yeah. and socks the guy... Alky Briggs, yeah. Is it Alky or no, or the, or no, the, the bodyguard. The henchman, okay. The henchman, okay. Yeah. So he does a big Indiana Jones roundhouse, and he lands the punch right below his neck. Yeah, yeah. Like, right yeah. below his neck there, and the yeah. guy does a big jump back, like, ooh, yeah. like he got yeah. hit in the face and yeah. shoots his face sideways. It's like, that should have been close to the face. And yeah. since we had had those two amazing punches earlier, like, look, look, Zeppo, you don't have much to do, so do the things you're going to do well. Yeah. And when he comes yeah. in and lands that... Just clammy, but, weird punch. <laughs> nowhere. Yeah. Uh, called, no dice. That's called a hay, maybe. Yeah. And also, are you a tough guy now, Zeppo? Is that yeah. what we're doing? Because yeah. that's a bit of a character uh, thing that you've just introduced. Mm. And you're a tough guy? Yeah. And a, a fighter? We, it's a weird, you know, because I was when I was watching that sequence, I was thinking, boy, this reminds me of the Harold Lloyd film Movie Crazy, which is a film about Harold Lloyd as this character who really wants to be in movies. But it has like this really, really, really long, brutal fight sequence at the end of this comedy movie. It's a weirdly, like long, long, gorilla. It's like it's like as long as the they live fight sequence. You know, it just feels like it just goes on forever. And you're just like, what a weird tonal shift at the end of this lighthearted Harold Lloyd film that he's having this knockdown, drag out fight in a wet, you know, in a sort of half submerged room with this movie heavy. And you're just like, whoa, this is really strange. And it feels the same way in the end of the 
Marsh Brothers, but I don't really hate it because I, I do like the idea that this is this heroic moment. And gosh darn it, we got to give Zeppo something to do. And this is the nice bone to throw him that he gets to be a tough guy. Yeah, he's defending some, his lady. He gets to throw, gets right? to defend sure. his lady's honor. Give me a little. Uh, he's the only bodyguard who actually yeah. does anything. Yeah, yeah, give me a little something earlier on where like we see that he's a little something, like something I don't know what, but just like that sets it up because like it seems he's every time that we see him, he is a radically different character. The first time we see him, he's a hobo in a barrel. You know <laughs> who's Zeppo? Zeppo, but. Now Nicely dressed, you said Absolutely. yourself. Absolutely. Very clean hobo in a barrel. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe he just missed out on tickets, you know? Yeah. Then yeah, once yeah. again, we never get a reason why these guys are in it. We like, don't need You it. understand why the other three are, because they don't fit into the world. But Zeppo seems to. So yeah. when he's flirting with a girl, it's just like, well, this is just regular dude flirting. Yeah. Very nice. And then he's like hanging around with the guy, seems to be having a nice time. But there's no reason for him to be there. And then, yeah, later on, he's like Johnny Smack him in the puss. And I'm like, well, uh, what's this? Who's this guy now? Who's uh, that? But sure. Yeah, Maybe he sure. wasn't able to, um, to like be on the boat because he has a criminal record and he's fleeing. <laughs> he's fleeing the country. Sure, I'll give you. I'll give you that. <laughs> he he killed a man with a hay maybe. <laughs> yeah. Punched him right below the neck. Oh, my clavicle! <laughs> oh, you broke, broke my clavicle! Broke, broke his collarbone yeah. and the bones went straight into oh, his heart. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, I call that the widow maker. Um, I did like uh, the, as it's you called, say, once again. It's called the widow maybe. <laughs> like. Uh, I like, as you say, Groucho doing the commentary. I like things like uh, Harpo being Napoleon. Yeah. I yeah. think that's what it just needed more of, which yeah, is like, yeah. let's just make this all just chaos, chaos, chaos mm-hmm. until we built to mm-hmm. the end. Yeah. And it kind of was like chaos, not chaos, chaos, not chaos. Mm-hmm. A little hot, a little cold. Yeah. Okay, I just okay. didn't, yeah, the tone, the tone of the end of the film, uh, when you say it's a different film, I think it could have still worked, all that stuff. It just, it just. They tone, just needed some tweaks, right? They just kind of gave up on the, on the movie at the end of it and just kind of. I Let mean, go of the reins. In in the writer's defense, there was a lot of them. A lot of writers? Yeah. Yeah, there were a lot of writers. Yeah, like when yeah. you're listing all of them and yeah. like oh, some of them had been working on it for such a long time and like you're having to try and um, sort of like mitigate all these different like views and mm. decisions. And yeah. Like you can, I can totally see how it happened, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know what's mm-hmm. cheap? A room with some hay in it. <laughs> <laughs> Two-story room. What else? Hey, couple of ladders. Yeah, yeah. Hey, some, that's great. Some farm animals. We're, yeah, sure. We're, yeah, we're under budget. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. We don't have to build a whole boat set. Yeah. Great. Sense, sense, fantastic. Love it. That's how we end it. Well, they did do some reshoot shoots on it because they're actually the like the scene of the of the uh, second mate having his his mustache snooped was um <laughs> was actually a different sequence and they they reshot it and it was a it was a That's shoe polishing sequence that one was very good apparently nat perrin wrote and he was very upset when it was taken out of the film and replaced by by that bit which was a, probably a replay of something they had they did on on stage hmm. um which is fine i mean they had lots of great material so if they wanted to dig into the the trick bag into and bring the, out into some, the catalog, yeah, yeah. especially since, as you mentioned before, all of those bits that they did on stage were so tried and true. Yeah, like they knew, like if they had something that they were like, I don't know about this, they're like, well, we've got this other bit that we yeah. guarantee we'll That's get a, a laugh. Killer. Yeah, yeah, because you know we've heard it, we've, we've heard the laughs a hundred times. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. At the very end, where he's uh, where they're pitching the hay or uh, tossing the hay, and it's, what are you guys doing? And it's like uh, looking for a needle in a haystack. They're like. Okay. Ugh. Okay. Yeah. You well, you want to just go like you mean looking for a punchline? Yeah. So I'm yeah. looking for yeah. in there. It's like yeah. it's a joke. It's it's technically a joke. But it's not a joke that I'll, should end such a good movie. Yeah. I will say that. Yeah. I will say in that movie's defense that that is a not the first film that has had that problem with with an ending for a Marx Brothers movie. Like it's hard to end a Marx Brothers film because they're so anarchic and chaotic. 
with the plot being this this you know gossamer thin that it's hard to to really end it on a bang because you know your your plot ends on a whimper your movie's going to end on a whimper and that's just an unfortunate element of it whether you know if the if it had been a real slash slash slam bang ending you'd forgive it a little that that final kind of lame yeah. joke you'd be like well whatever that's yeah. Marx brothers you get you know it would have been if you know if yeah, or, said it, then turned or to even, Cameron and said, they can't all be winners. I feel like, yeah, or, yeah, that would have been better. Or, like, I feel like the the barn scene would have been better if it had ended with, like, both the gangsters getting there and, like, turning to all the Marx Brothers and being like, you're terrible. You're terrible at this. You're the, you're the worst bodyguards. Yeah, look who's like, talking. You're, fu- you're who's fired. Talking. You hired us. <laughs> That'd be good if they got yeah. fired. Yeah, yeah that like, that good. That would be, like, a much better, a much better ending. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah but... He gives him a handsome letter and says, I'm giving you seven days notice. <laughs> I don't know much about gangsters, but I don't think that they're the the most like solid no, no, they followers have to follow. of yeah. labor laws. They still yeah. have to follow. And then, and then all the scuttlery falls out of Harpo's sleeves <laughs> for no reason. And it's landing on the hay, so it shouldn't be making that noise at all. It should be a soft thing. <laughs> no, he would have been good doing the fight sequence if he was trying to climb the ladder and all the silver was falling out of his... <laughs> It he would, was just at a fancy party. He was just party. at a fancy oh, yeah. party, yeah. It, it, it would, it would yeah. be really good if that was a thing that happened in like hand. every single movie. Yeah. Just silverware. Someone yeah. picks up the knives and throws them at the gangster and pins them to a wall and we all have a good time. It's all yeah, fine. Sure, sure. Ah, we'll all write it. Uh, yeah, it was very... So, I'm going to give that movie eight barrels out of ten. Very nice. There were no monkeys, so the title was a lie. Um, well, they didn't need any animal crackers and animal crackers either. Yeah, it's a lot of problems with these titles. Were <laughs> there any coconuts in the coconuts? You, no. Whatever is in the title will not be in the I guess movie. there were coconut trees, weren't there? So I assume in a day in the races, there will be no races. Well, there'll be plenty of something. There we go. So have we have we confer- have we we done all our foreshadowing and paid off all the foreshadowing? I think we paid later? off everything. Oh, so wait, my one sh- foreshadowing okay. that you didn't understand. Oh, yeah, yeah. When Harpo lost his beloved frog, oh, yeah. that was a lot more emotional than Mary getting kidnapped. Oh, Zippo yeah. Zippo was all yeah. sad yes. about it. I'm like, ugh, whatever. It was worrisome. Who? Yeah, Who? Yeah. I'm pretty sure that up to that point, we'd seen the frog more times than we'd seen Mary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true enough. We didn't have much idea of her, her personality, which is unfortunate because she actually was... That's a very charming sequence when she drops her... her yes. It is, yeah. Her kerchief, and then and then Zeppo says, yes, it is mine. Yeah, and then they keep walking, and they say... Um, and he says, as I was saying, lovely country. And she says, yes, the trees are beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's funny. Yeah. So it's like, oh, this fun. is good. And it's, it's unfortunate it doesn't, they, they can't pay that off a little bit more. Now, yeah, they, I mean, that's such a problem of having a movie that has four, like, four protagonists, right? Like, how do you give all of them, like, you can give all of them gags, but you can't give all of them storylines. Yeah, you can right. give three of them storylines occasionally. And uh, <laughs> the fourth one we have to... Mm-hmm. Now, now you were talking earlier about a short, and yeah. you made us watch a short. I and I say made short. because you forced us to, but it still was point. delightful. At gunpoint, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, we well, found just, out later it was a horn. The, yes, <laughs> it was just a long horn. He thought it was a rifle. It was just a yeah. honk. Then, unfortunately, he got on your bicycle, honked the horn, and shot a guy. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> whoops. I thought I get those confused. I didn't know it was all mixed up. <laughs> uh, so Paramount was celebrating its 20th anniversary. Happy uh, anniversary to Paramount! Thank you. When this film, <laughs> when this film is being thank made. you. I am does, a representative does Dave of Paramount. Think he's Paramount Pictures. <laughs> um, I'm just I hope very you enjoyed polite. Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh, isn't that Columbia? No, because it starts with the. Oh, it starts with the kid thing. I'm sorry. I'm dumb. Paramount. You're right. Uh, so, so Paramount had arranged their own. It was called the National Paramount National Screening Week. 
And the idea was that they would they were going to feature like feature five of their 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 most recently completed films, and they really really wanted uh, Monkey Business to be part of this. So money, but Monkey Business was not completed in time for this. So they the movies they put out were The Smiling Lieutenant, which starred Maurice Chevalier, ah, An American Tragedy, Huckleberry Finn, Secrets of a Secretary, and Silence. These were the Films that made up this thing, but they also did another movie. The which secretary was, secret was that she was Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> so they also put together like a tribute compilation yep. of from their twenty years of, of movies, oh, cool. and they but they really wanted the Marx Brothers to be involved with this, so they had the Marx Brothers film a special sequence for it, and it was basically the sketch, the theatrical manager's office from the play, the review that was never made into a film. Because it wasn't really a story. It was just a series of sketches and things loosely tied together by songs and whatnot uh, called I'll, which was, I'll Say She Is. And so the, you know, they probably performed the sketch about 2,000 times. So it was very easy for them to do it. It looks like in, if you watch the short, and once again, I will have a link. I'll have a YouTube link on the uh, website. So you can watch it and you can see that it doesn't even look like they rehearsed it. It looks like they just did it yeah. very quickly on the day using Ben Taggart, who played... Um, the the captain played the captain right. on the on the boat, yeah. Oh, Using I? him as the yeah. as the as the cap as the agent, the theatrical agent, and uh, so when they through the years as they did it, they would they would do um, like they had done it with them impersonating Gallagher and Sheehan, their uncle and his yeah. act because it was a very famous act. Joe Frisco, another famous vaudevillian, when they went to England and did the show, they had Charlie Chaplin as their thing, and so uh, and. For Paramount, they did Maurice Chevalier because of the Smiling Lieutenant, and mm. so that was and that's also the reason they did it in the film because it tied into somebody very popular at that time. Sure. And it was a good gag with the and so yeah. yeah. And talking about a, a, a sketch that ends in complete chaos, <laughs> that sketch just ends in complete chaos, chaos and anarchy. It's very Marx Brothers. It's very Marx Brothers, but also Zeppo has a really strong part in it, mm-hmm. a really strong part in it. Well, he starts he starts it off. Yeah. Starts it off, but he's also doing that. Big long uh, description of the of his of his uh, play. Yeah. Uh, while everyone else is talking and shouting and and, and whatnot's going on, and so yeah, it really works. But it's well. also good because he's the most traditional. Okay, yeah. So it's a it's a theatrical manager's office. So the handsome guy comes in and goes, "Here's yeah. what I'm gonna do." Yeah. Like yeah, that buy this. Yeah. This yeah. is how you set this up. Sure. And he sings properly, and it's all fine, mm-hmm. and then it sets the stage for chaos. My one beef with it is they're all talking in rhyme, which is fine. Yeah. Except. The uh, manager does not talk in rhyme. Yeah. And then about halfway through, he rhymes a bit. And it's like, no, no. <laughs> you have set up the convention yeah. that you are not the rhymer. These yeah. are all the rhymers. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Unless for strange, some reason you get yeah. sucked up into it. Yeah, I was going to say, like, but maybe, why am I no rhyming maybe that's him that's showing him getting like drawn into the chaos. Then yeah. you've got to hit that. And then like <laughs> he is now part of the chaos. Yeah, yeah. He's been sucked into their world. But it's not that. Because then he doesn't rhyme afterwards. Let me just tell you. They performed it 2,000 times. Yep. And people laughed their heads off. They were wrong about the, the rhyming in the middle. <laughs> Can I just say, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Because someone being Mr. Picky over here. There was yep. a lot of talking going on. Yeah. It was it's hard a, to... Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It's a really, I think it's a really fun sketch. And it makes you sorry that I'll Say She Is was not, was not in some way uh, memorialized for us. But yeah, it wouldn't have been a great movie because it would have just been a, re- a, a series of... It would have been it would have been Marx Brothers and now for something completely different. Yeah. Know? Which is yeah, not a terrible thing. It's just it's about. like watching something like that which is like so much one of their from one of their re- reviews as you said. It just makes me kind of sad about how much 
great material they they had that like we will never be able to see yeah yeah right and like instead they focused on um doing these movies some of which are great some of which are less great and often the ones that are less great are a lot more plot based right yeah. like later on um yeah just so many good gags <laughs> yeah that we'll never know about well that that and also to it's you know you could feel how lucky it was for people to see them in vaudeville when when it was you know partly scripted partly you know, whatever they felt like doing that night, you know, mm-hmm. there was that element of, of unexpected, you know, that you just didn't know. You literally did not know what they were going to do when you went to see a Marx Brothers uh, performance. And that's pretty cool. Like the idea of just walking into something and you not knowing. Like even if you love them and you've been a few times, you could walk in and, and see a new thing again. Yeah. That's pretty exciting. It's it's when you're, when you're saying that, it just reminds me of something Gary Shandling said about David Brenner. It was when David Brenner passed away, he was thinking, what happens to all the jokes? Because he's the only person that would do those jokes. Yeah. Those jokes are all gone. And this amazing amount of material mm. will never be seen by anyone who didn't see it live the yeah. time it was. It's yeah. just, that's all That's all gone when the person is gone. It's the same thing with, with the Marx Brothers. All that material is gone. Yeah. Just, the people who saw it, saw it. And that was and that yeah. was it. Maybe that makes it a bit more special. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. something oh, yeah. beautiful about that as well. Yeah. We can feel lucky that at least the coconuts and the animal crackers were, were filmed. And we got to see those. And that yeah. they carried on. Yeah. Even though, you know, the brothers didn't didn't you know really want to do it they kept on making movies you know for a long time afterwards <laughs> otherwise we'd be doing a buster keaton podcast right now i'll be awesome and who wants that me Ugh, not me <laughs> uh, well i'll let you guys fight about that on the way home <laughs> is there anything yeah, i don't any think mary's other, gonna get it right any home. other uh, <laughs> any other final uh, thoughts on the film before i do or how the nice people out there can contact us no i think i'm satisfied talked up anything um yeah i feel like maybe i was a little bit too harsh on the ending of that movie i just want to say i really love that movie it's like <laughs> it's one of my favorites and that's why i'm here I one love, of your favorite movies yeah mm-hmm. i think so i love that movie so much monkey yeah. business like when we were watching it last night i was like oh man this movie's so good <laughs> and now i want to go through and like rewatch all the marx brothers movies because i'm just well, so good. I got we got uh, I bought a new set of the Blu-rays that have the commentary tracks as well. So I do can... not know if I've gotten the Blu-rays, but I will find out when I get home. You I can... found a DVD store. I couldn't believe it. Could that's not great. believe they still exist. I think that's great because look at that. You're able to find something that you're looking for. That's right. It's, and then the, the it's a great per- feeling. The person at the desk went, "Oh, these are amazing. You're gonna you're gonna love these." And I went, uh, "Yeah, I'm doing a podcast," and they didn't care. Oh, so that's was my experience well, not everyone enjoys podcasts but those who do but you would think working in a movie us. store you'd have a lot of free time am i right i think so you would think that but you you don't i've worked in one nope 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 free time no this hor- it's horrible so anyway i understand uh, their attitude if you want to contact us uh, and uh, give your opinion on uh, on uh, anything we've said so far Today, here's the easiest way to go about doing it. Well, the easiest way is probably uh, email. And that's uh, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com because that's our other podcast and we're not getting a new email for this. Sneakyd <laughs> at sneakydragon.com or go to our website, sneakydragon.com and uh, you'll find this episode there. Plus, underneath each episode is a little uh, message board. You can just post something there. We don't make you uh, member up or any weird stuff. We're not going to send you any weird mail unless you want some weird mail. Then we might send it to you. Uh, you can go to Twitter. Twitter, and that is sneaky underscore dragon. Uh, we have not got a Facebook page for this show yet, but we do have one for Sneaky Dragon, so you can see us there. And we're also at sneakydragon.tumblr.com. So we'd uh, love to hear from you, and we will be back in two weeks' time with horse feathers. There you are. Will there be horses? Well, if trends continue, 
No. And there will not be any feathers either. Thank you so much. But I mean, can I just, can can I just, I just say? Oops, can I just say? Guys, can, can I, we just say? Can I just say? Can I just say? Can I, just, can I, I just have a moment of your time please? to just talk? <laughs> can I just talk about Scientology again? I said some things can we please? that I regret. I like, I like, guys, one I like the attention I have a joke that, that I want to make, so I think that is the most important. The Nightingale is Let our guest speak first, all right? All right. I was just going to say that. That's enough. Okay, what I wanted to say. While there were no monkeys in that movie, there was some business. Arguably some funny business. There you go. Well, why did they call it funny business then? All right, Dad, go. I just no, wanted... but first of all, we're going to say thank you to oh, uh, yes. to uh, Mary Dedrick for uh, showing up on yes, the show thanks, today. Mary. I knew, th- I knew. Let's. Here's the thing. As soon as I said to Mary many many months ago that we were going to do a Marx Brothers podcast, many years ago, can I just say? Not many years yeah. ago. The I day she many, was born, whispered into her ear, <laughs> "One day, little angel, yes, right. I will do. You are the most podcast. darling child. <laughs> one day, little one angel, day you will come on because I will tell no one." <laughs> What are you whispering you. to that newborn baby? <laughs> Nothing! <laughs> you were the chosen one. <laughs> um, no, I said to Mary that we we're going to do a Marks Brother podcast, and she immediately said, can I come on to do the Monkey Business podcast? Because I know that she loves that movie so much. So I'm glad you came on the show to talk about a movie that you love. You're welcome. And I also want to say... Also, thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. And I also want to say thank you to two of our listeners, uh, Robert underscore DC. And Laurel GR for your reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. We appreciate you telling people that you love this show. And we would also love to see more reviews on iTunes from our listeners. Even if you didn't love the show, we're still fine Even with that. Even if you didn't love the show, if you have some have some polite comments to make about our nonsense, that would also be <laughs> nice. So thank you very much, everyone. And we will see you next time with Horse Feathers. This has been Horse full Feathers. Horse. What's that? Horse Feathers. Say that again. Horse feathers. Very good. All I right. had a hard time saying that. We got two weeks to practice saying it. <laughs> All right. See you in two weeks. Or if you're just listening to these in order and binging them, see you in a few seconds. Bye. Bye. Bye.